0: Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, You know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guests, we might get into a little bit of politics. But mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter pinned as the tweet is linked to UNICEF. Which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration time for your DC Spotlight for the week of March 1st, 2022. Uh, yeah, heading into our third month of the year. And I, I promise, guys, that the, uh, the Comic Source Awards, the-, the best of 2021 is coming. <laughs> I know it's, we're three months in, but it's coming. I promise you. It's Rocky and I have both been really busy, but uh, <laughs> it's coming. And it reminds me that, man... As we enter the third month, I, I have to do this year what I said I was going to do the last year and the year before that, which is make notes on the books as I read them. Part of the reason it took, took so long to get my picks for 2021 is because I had to go back through a year of books because I, I don't write things down like I should. Like, it's hard to remember a favorite cover or favorite moment. So as I read the comic and it's a cool moment, I need to make a note on my reading list to say, hey, when you go back through – for your favorite moment of 2022, it'll be all right there. So, uh, anyway, uh, on to the DC books that we're going to talk about this week. Uh, let's see, we have two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen 10, 12, 14 books, plus Dark Knights of Steel The Gathering Storm number one, which is actually uh, the first three issues all, um, all bound together in kind of a new volume, almost like a mini trade. Uh, so, we're not going to go into that because we've already covered those three, but we'll talk about the new issue and of those 14 books two of them we're going to do in a separate episode because it's war for earth three we have the first issue of that and then the first tie-in which is suicide squad number 13 so if you're joining this specifically to talk about or hear about war for earth three you don't care about anything else go check out the other episode so that being said don't forget everybody uh y- because you demanded it spoilers plenty in this dc spotlight uh, so overall, I, I, have to say, you know, as much as I try to stay positive, this was a little bit of a down week for me. There wasn't anything that really, that I felt, I mean, even the return of nice house on the lake felt a little underwhelming to me. So I don't know, uh, n- nothing, you know, outright terrible, maybe with the exception of one <laughs> book that I really didn't care for. Um, but most of it was just kind of mm, average, I guess. what do you think, Rock?
1: Well, uh, even though we're I really like the War for Earth three. I like, I love the opening issue because it's it's even tying a little bit, uh, somewhat with uh, uh, even though I was surprisingly tied in with uh Andy Schmidt's, uh, uh mini six issue miniseries a little bit uh, because it take you know, but we'll, and we'll talk about that. But I was very pleasantly surprised with the War for Earth three. I was quite happy with that, and I'm looking forward to reviewing that. Dark Knights of Steel threw a, threw me for a loop yeah i'm still processing it i'm still processing it but i i kind of like it you know and uh justice league Garnet i enjoyed and um and even uh you know killing batman's killing time with tom king is is, is piquing my interest as well but uh so but, but and but i agree with you Nighthouse house on the lake because nice house on the lake number seven it, it we had a it just come off a long hiatus or a you know, three or four month hiatus, it feels a little bit underwhelming as well. But uh, yeah, we'll get into it. But uh, some interesting... Yeah, I mean,
0: not only coming off the hiatus, but coming off the reset button at the end of issue six, which... That's
1: right. Yeah, yeah.
0: So anyway, uh, let's dive in. Only a couple issues left of Bendis' Justice League. This one that's out this week, Justice League number 73. And then obviously uh, 74, which will wrap up this story arc, as well as his run. Right before Joshua Williamson takes us into uh, the death of the Justice League in issue seventy-five, which was uh, hinted at, actually, when we get to Justice League Incarnate, we'll talk about that. So, um, yeah, it's it's not bad. I, I do find myself enjoying this um, this story arc more so than I've enjoyed some of the other stuff that Bendis has done in the in his Justice League run. I think maybe I'm attributed to the. I like actually, lark like the larger team. The fact that it's almost like uh, a mashup of Justice League and Justice League Dark here, so I, I am enjoying it. Uh, again, written by Brian Michael Bendis, as I mentioned. Art is by Simon Kordansky with Emmanuel Lupacchino We talked about that last issue. Kind same, of same, same setup here. Whenever Justice League Dark uh, is on the page and and our, the focus is on them, uh, Simon Kordansky does it when it's. In the more traditional Justice League, we have Emmanuel Lupacino, uh, Wade von Grobager and Scott Hanna are on inks. Simon Kardansky does his own colors. Hi-Fi does the colors on the Lupacino line work. Josh Reed is on letters. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, this being the second part of the uh, the story arc, the middle issue here, I thought it was well done. I thought it was well paced. For once, I didn't feel that Bendis was. Uh, overly expositional or didn't feel necessarily like words were just on the page so that people could have a chance to say words just for the sake of saying them. Um, The only thing, and it's a minor little nitpick. The only thing that, that bugged me about it was it seems as though Naomi may be the, the savior of, of the league here. And, you know, it, it, it a little bit reminds me of our complaint that we have like with Jeffrey Thorne, when he writes John's, John Stewart, Green Lantern, it comes across as a little fan fiction-y, you know, and I get that Naomi's an exciting character and she's new and she's hit really big very quickly, but I don't know. It doesn't feel earned in a lot of ways because we still know so little about her. We don't really even understand her power set yet. Um, she's still so new. So it, it makes it feel a little, a little tropey or a little, a little bit of a stretch. Um, it just lacks that, oh yeah, I could see this happen. You know, what's the word of uh, verisimilitude? Just lax. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just, it, yeah. yeah. But, but overall, like I said, it's, I, I am enjoying the story. I think the Simon Kardansky art on kind of the justice league dark pages, the magical fighting, uh, is, is really cool looking. So yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I think Bendis is going out on a high note on his justice league run. Actually. What are your thoughts, rock?
1: Well, uh, in, in fairness, yeah, he's going out on a higher note. Uh, Mind you, he didn't really have to go very high to be higher than his previous notes <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> but enough, in my mind. But I, I agree it's a little bit better. I Look, I can nitpick. I mean, his the villain of this piece, Xanardoth, is actually, you know, the a forgotten lord of chaos. It, it's almost as if Bendis got tired of trying to understand DC continuity. So he just said, screw it, I'll make up my own character uh, in order to get... Uh, to get Naomi, another one of my new characters that I've created off the playing field to have an adventure with this new villain I just created, and and so in that way, that's the cynical side of me, and and you sort of alluded to that, but at the same time, uh, I will say that this is actually one of the most most more coherent, more easy to follow storylines from Bendis. And I love all the players here from Hippolyta to, uh, to Zatanna to Madame Xanadu to Dr. Fate to uh, the Black Adam. Black Adam's possessed by Xanadoth. Uh, all the players in here, I think, I mean, just when he's finally maybe starting to have a little bit of fun. Right? For the first time, I feel like he's not completely out of his element his element maybe being more marvel than dc and now he's he's at the end of it and but, so be it but i i agree with you i i think that there was a lot of action here this issue had a lot of double page spreads i don't know if you noticed that but uh, unfortunately those watching on youtube here we can only show one one page at a time the way simply symbi- the way the pages are crunched in between our two uh our heads, but uh, a lot of double-page spreads here, uh, and uh, Manuana LaPicino, her art, I, I, I really like her as an artist, I'm biased, I, I like, a lot of these double-page spreads are, are really nice, a lot of the action here, the colors pop off the page, so this is this is a visual feast of an issue, and it's an easy-to-follow storyline, I am curious to, to, to know what Xanadoth, Xanadoth notices about Naomi, we know that Naomi's from another universe, obviously, that's really the only thing we know, we haven't even gotten volume two of Naomi's series yet. And th- that's going to be coming out this year. So, but uh, now is Xanadoth going to play a role in that? I, I don't think so, but it's uh, obviously with Xanadoth dis disappearing and taking Naomi with her. We don't know exactly how that's going to resolve, but it's, I have to admit, I, I am curious. And, you know, look, it-, it is a little bit forced with Naomi, but she, she is a new character. She, I, I think in fairness to Naomi, With the DC wonky storylines and continuity post-death metal, we haven't really in a a more in a different editorial environment. We should have we should have gotten the the second volume of the Naomi series by now. We shouldn't have had to shoehorn her into the Justice League, but it is what it is. And and I agree with you. This is probably this is this is uh, definitely one of Bendis' better Justice League uh, issues.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, in a perfect world, I think even Bendis and David Walker would have wanted more Naomi. Uh, Jamal Campbell's not the fastest artist. And, and to be honest, David Walker and Bendis have a lot of irons in the fire, especially Brian Michael Bendis, not only with uh, with his comics work, but he's got the Legion of Superheroes animated TV show. He's got other big projects that he's involved in. So it's just a matter of, of bandwidth. But, yeah, I mean, back in the day when comics weren't such a thing, uh, especially in terms of other media – pulling attention away yeah we would have had way more naomi Uh, you know like based on the success of that six issue mini would have gone right into an ongoing and we'd have what like 30 issues by you know the six issue mini plus another couple years would be like 30 issues we definitely know who she was so you know when we sort of complain like well maybe she hasn't earned it you know it's not that that may very well be the case but in terms of timeline you know in a in a Different universe. Maybe she she would have earned it by now. So, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. And I like I like her as a character. It's just I feel like we don't know enough yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, uh, I, well like, yeah. Well, go ahead. In, in fairness to Bendis, I, I I'm looking forward to Naomi Volume Two. I mean, say what you will. I've I've been very hard on Bendis, but I mean, Naomi is a very interesting character. I just wish we would have gotten far more of her, more of the time over the last year. Yeah, like, I agree. In her own series, like.
0: So uh, up next is Batman 121, and this is really interesting to me because it's already been announced. So it, they made it – They it felt like they made kind of a big deal when Williamson was jumping on, uh, but now we know that Chip Zdarsky is jumping on with issue 124. So I guess we're getting in, like a – what? Uh, another three-part story, not even a full arc, a, a three-issue something with Williamson, and then in July – I think it's July, maybe June. Uh, that zadarski's taken over. So I, I find that really, really interesting. Um, but be that as it may, Joshua Williamson is the writer on 121. It's the finale of The Abyss story. Jorge Molina and Mikhail Yanin as the artists. Tomei Mori does colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. How'd you feel this one wrapped up?
1: Well, I thought it was a little convenient. I thought it was very convenient, but uh, I mean, I, I love the art. It's fantastic. I love... Uh, I actually liked the the fact that it wrapped up a little bit conveniently because I didn't want this to drag on. I like the fact that uh, you know uh, it it was a little bit convenient in that the the uh, Batman incorporated sort of the League of the Batman. We thought that they had betrayed Batman, that they're working with Abyss, and that they the big reveal at the end of last issue was that oh my god the Batman Incorporated they're betraying Batman they're working with with Abyss and they're now going to take out Batman and Lex Luthor Lex Luthor having acquired Batman Incorporated and there's a lot of revelations here a lot of revelations and perhaps the you know the biggest one being somewhat conveniently is that well. Batman Incorporated, they're all good guys. They're not compromised after all. You know, Batman says a code word halfway through here, and they all betray Abyss. And this was all some, this was part of a ploy, I guess, to sort of lure Abyss out. Batman Incorporated have been, even unbeknownst to Batman himself, uh, the various members of Batman Incorporated have been sort of working on taking down Abyss for a while, and they've been sort of pretending to work with Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor apparently has had this elaborate game where Lex Luthor acquired Batman Incorporated and was going to various cities trying to recruit various uh h- recruit various heroes to work for him and basically so he could control his own Batman Incorporated and and uh and and he he had all these machinations so Lex Luthor uh, basically wanted to you know a way of just getting control of uh a way of getting control of things and and it's interesting uh i i mentioned i made a comment uh last time when we reviewed the last issue of batman 120 i thought i wasn't sure how this how this maybe is consistent with the rising which is which is he's working with hen uh with uh john bendix of the island nation of gomorrah which is the rising bendix what's what's that henry henry bendix thank you and um and it seems to me that, you know, maybe this does have something in common with that because if he's if they want to create a, a negative PR campaign against all the heroes of the world, against metahumans, for, for Lex Luthor to control Batman Incorporated in conjunction with that, maybe there is some synchronicity there. So this even lines up maybe a little bit with that. But I like this. I, lo- I, I still love this new detective. Uh, uh, detective uh, Kea is her name, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, you know, this detective K might end up being a future member of Batman Incorporated. It's hinted at the end. In the meantime, Batman takes out uh, Abyss. It's uh, Williamson's Batman seems to be a little bit very powerful. He even blind. He's he seems to be a superior fighter. Lex <laughs> Luthor was shocked to discover that Batman was actually blind. You you've been blind all this time. It's like so. It's like yeah, that's Batman for you. And you know Bruce Wayne, very Batman, very intelligent, he uses uh, Lex's own tech to locate Abyss and 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 uh, essentially take Abyss out. And you know, again, I'm. It's it's impressive stuff, and just the great relationship that Batman continues to have with Batman Incorporated. He's a little frustrated with him that they never told him what he was doing, uh, but like like they said to Batman, well, "Would you tell us that you were doing it if the roller was reversed?" And of course, you know, there, there's a reason why they're all like Batman or for Batman Incorporated. They all have their own egos and their own way of doing things, but they're they've learned from the best, and that's uh, and the fact that they've sort of defeated the machinations of abyss and, uh, managed to sabotage Lex Luthor's master plan is really, maybe shouldn't surprise us when you go up against Batman incorporated, you, you better, you better know what you're, you better know what you're doing. And even Lex Luthor seems to have been outwitted here. I liked it. I really enjoyed it. What'd you think?
0: Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. Uh, more for the overall aesthetic of the story. Um, than then story beats themselves because I, you know, I talked a little bit about how I sort of disliked the idea of, of Luther as a as a hero, but Williamson did really kind of poo poo that here, and so I did appreciate that. Although, you know, after the Jeff Johns Forever Evil event, we got Lex Luthor in in his armor, but Superman, you know, version of it. And now we've seen him in a Batman version as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, we weren't going down that path, which I which I appreciated because it was sort of hinted at and I was worried and I talked about that. Uh, but yeah, right away with the Batman incorporated flipping on, on Lex with the way that Bruce Wayne, you know, figured that out. And, and they even sort of knew that he knew in a way, ah, well, you're Batman, of course you knew, even though they do ask, well, how did you know well, you guys are better fighters than, than that? I could tell you were, you were uh, pulling your punches when you first attacked me. So I appreciated all that. Um, but I, I, I do agree that it, it felt a little anticlimactic only because Abyss really came across in the first couple of issues as really formidable. Like he was going to be a big challenge for Batman. And then in the end, like you said, Batman's able to fight him pretty to a standstill, even blind. And so he, in the end, he doesn't come across maybe as powerful as you would have thought. And then the whole idea of Batman being blind and then, well, there's a slash across his uh, his emblem on his chest and then he can see. Like what? Yeah. You know, I expected an actual resolution of of why he couldn't see. Uh, I'm, it, it's not really explained. I, I mean, I can come up with my own ideas. Oh, Batman had something on his chest that he wasn't aware of that was powering the nanites that were implanting his brain that was was blocking his vision, whatever. But I shouldn't necessarily have to come up with my own yeah. explanation for that. So, yeah, just little little things like that 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 were kind of like, hmm, eh, I don't know. But I again, I wonder if. Don't get me wrong; Joshua Williamson is is doing a fantastic job on a lot of the stuff he's doing at DC, but he's doing a lot, so you just wonder. And and this may be, and I'm I'm just purely speculating here. This may be why Zdarsky came on Batman so so quickly. Maybe Williamson just realized, hey, this is a little I've taken on a little too much. Let me you know, let's hand it over to somebody else. Who and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm excited. Zdarsky is a fantastic writer, and has only gotten better over the last couple of years. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. Um, but I just I, again, I wonder. Because at the end of the day, this uh, this final issue of this arc felt just the tiniest bit rushed. Um, it felt like it could have gone on a little longer and had that final confrontation between Abyss and Batman be flushed out a little more instead of, yeah, a little, little conveniently resolved. But yeah. overall, I, I enjoyed it. And the other thing that's really interesting is we got, what, three epilogues here? Two? No, I guess two epilogues and then the backup. Yeah. Um, you know, the first one... Well, uh, you know, I almost say it's three, even though only two of them are called epilogues because, you know, Batman gets the call at the end. Hey, there's something going on with Arkham Tower. Obviously, we know with Detective Comics being weekly. And then the first epilogue, it's a time jump, right? And whatever has happened at Arkham Tower has happened. The the captions, Gotham City after Arkham Tower and Batman's talking to Oracle. And she mentions some of the things that have been, um, that have been, Uh, going on and how Batman's like, yeah, I I know I have a hard time celebrating the win and I'm, you know, I'm working on that. So, you know, what does that mean for him? I guess we'll have to see, but uh, Ghostmaker does make an appearance and we know he's been training Clown Hunter. So in the uh, Batman 2022 annual, we're going to get a little more Ghostmaker and Clown Hunter. So see how that plays out. Uh, And then the second epilogue, which to me was even more interesting because we see Prometheus show up. And apparently he's working with Deathstroke. And we know Deathstroke is now the leader of the Secret Society of Supervillains. So how's that going to play out? Well, that part of the story is going to be continued in Shadow War Alpha, which is another semi-Batman Deathstroke event that's coming uh soon. So
1: and, and we know that Batman is re- has has officially returned to Gotham after this issue. He's officially returned to Gotham as is confirmed by Prometheus. That's what Prometheus tells Deathstroke. Deathstroke wants Batman preoccupied uh while he wants Batman distracted while he prepares for war. Exactly what kind of war, well, I guess we're not we're not really sure yet, but Batman is now Bruce Wayne is now back in Gotham City and so uh it'll be interesting to see what what happens moving forward because as you said Joshua Williamson is, is is he's controlling a lot of moving parts in all these narratives
0: yeah and and a lot of why batman needed to be out of gotham was to to so that that sh- uh that shadow war or, or shadow of the bat uh story could take place the arkham the arkham tower story so yeah uh and then the backup it's maps as robin I think if you like maps, you're going to love it. If you don't, you know, you don't have much invested like me. It's just kind of like whatever. Um, it, it ended a little ambiguously as well. So, uh, but for those that are big fans of Gotham Academy and of Carl Kershel who writes and uh, draws and letters, this with colors by Dave McKig, you probably enjoyed it. For me, it was just kind of like, meh, I, I'm not, I'm not invested in these characters at all. So it was just, uh, Batman tangential story for me. Anything to add, Rocky? Uh,
1: well, I what I would add is I I kind of wish not even though Gotham Academy did not necessarily sell all that well, <laughs> I I I I really enjoyed it, and you know it's one of those it's one of those comics that I've really I really enjoyed, notwithstanding maybe the lower sales of it. But it's got great character work, and I I love maps, and I actually. You know, I know that Teen Titans Academy does, doesn't necessarily have a lot of sales either, and it's been cancelled. But I, I would have liked to have seen more character work in Teen Titans Academy, like I just saw in this backup feature over the last four issues of Maps. You know, just really getting to know this character. And and I don't know about you, Jace, but I know that you're not you're not necessarily you weren't a reader of Gotham Academy, but I mean... I thought this was good character work. I Carl Keschel does a good job here, and he takes the time to really craft – takes his time crafting a, a narrative. That he, and they're always character-driven stories, and that's what I like about this. This is, you know, Maps after helping Batman with a serial killer. But it's the character work on Maps that makes this worth reading in my mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, Maps is a fan-favorite character. And, and, you know, even though I'm not invested in the character at all, I can see why just based on, the, on what we get of her here. So yeah. – Uh, All right. Up next, the final issue of Justice League Incarnate, at least the final issue for now. I don't know if they they would ever bring it back, but uh, issue uh, five of five from writers Joshua Williamson and Dennis Culver. There's a lot of of artists here. Um, So we've got Andrew Brezen on pages one through 18 and 24 through 28. And then jesus morena on 19 through 23 and then 29 through 30 and then we've got hi-fi on colors which does sort of unify these two uh pencilers and then tom napolitano on on letters so uh this was pretty solid sort of interesting to see dark side so overmatched by the the great darkness um but in a way it's in a way exciting uh what i also appreciated and I almost wish that it had been done was that we got somewhat of a – like a lineup of, uh, of of the Justice League Incarnate when Dr. Multiverse kind of gives us these brief character descriptions of them because um, there's been a, a lot of characters that have come in and out of both the Justice League Incarnate as well as the Infinite Frontier um, miniseries. And, you know, they're multiversal versions of these characters. And so just, just these little blurbs that we get uh, with a little description are so are so helpful, you know, just to give some context to, to the story. Um, but in speaking about the story, I mean, it certainly is very much set up, you know, um, with Williamson sort of putting, okay, let me put everybody where I want them so that we can start. Uh, you know, with while uh, well, this continues into, um, into the death of the Justice League in issue 75 of that series, and then, of course, eventually going to go into the Dark Crisis, which has been announced. So, you know, if you're, if you're thinking, hey, this is issue 505 of Justice League Incarnate, and so I'm going to get the end of the story – you're mistaken. You know, just like with uh, Infinite Frontier issue six of six with that miniseries, you shouldn't have expected the end. So we've talked about it. Brock and I have talked about it before, where you know we really think that if this is all one long story, why are you? Why do you keep relabeling it? You should have just called it all Infinite Frontier or all Justice League Incarnate or all you know Road to Dark Crisis or or whatever. You know, stop, stop. You know, shifting it around and calling it different things. But uh, again, it's a minor nitpick overall. I I enjoyed the series. It was great to see this young female version of flash Avery. I absolutely love the new uh, doctor multiverse character. I think her, her design is cool. Her look is really cool. Uh, I like her personality, especially love those issues where her and, um, and uh, Calvin Ellis, that, that version of Superman were were supposedly on our earth, um, you know, and, some relationship stuff going on a little bit, will they, won't they sort of thing. That was great. Um, and ultimately what happens here uh, and this is not a spoiler because it's been te- already teased and announced and whatever for Dark Crisis that one of the main characters of Dark Crisis was going to be a character that showed up on Crisis in Infinite Earths classic, you know, DC, maybe the biggest, uh, most impactful DC story of all time uh, Pariah, who was this character from one of the first Earths that got uh, destroyed by the Anti Monitor, that was like uh, cursed to jump through time as the wave of antimatter or, or jump across the multiverse, I should say, not jump through time, but jump across to different locations in the multiverse to witness Earths being erased and just experience that torment over and over and over. Uh, he's going to play a big role in, in Dark Crisis. And he was always more of a sympathetic character and not really outright. Evil, so to speak, but he shows up here with a much more kind of malevolent personality, which I I'm curious about because he's a character that I, I always enjoyed and felt like he should have been used more beyond crisis, um, but never really was. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily like, oh, no, he this isn't him. He's acting differently because, I mean, this is a guy that's been tortured for for a long, long time. And so I could see him falling into, Hey man, I just want my pain to end. I just want my trauma to end. I want to stop witnessing, you know, the death of, of universes and whatnot. So I'm going to be really curious to see, I, I hope that Williamson, um, does him justice. Um, and he, yeah, he looks right. I think, I think his design is great. The way George Perez designed him back in the day. Uh, if I had any wish, it would be that, anytime he appears on the comic page that george perez be uh perez be the one that draws him because uh, and when perez drew him he just he looked so um there's so much emotion in his face yeah so uh yeah all in all th- this was solid but you know it, it, it i wouldn't say it was necessarily satisfying because it it it's just another you know Another stepping stone in the big event that's coming that's going to be Dark crisis, so ultimately a bit of a setup series. what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I agree uh, uh, this was definitely set up again uh, i'm I'm excited for it. I'm really excited uh seeing pariah at the end pariah it's strongly hinted here is the big bad pariah is appears to be more powerful than dark side more powerful than the empty hand. He's really controlling the great darkness he seems to have a lot of power here at least it's implied it's suggested it's also hinted at in in, in some interviews that Williamson has has given William Joshua Williamson has always asked he's, he's in interviews he's talked about how he's always wondered in the past he's always wanted to write about pariah like whatever happened to pariah there's a couple of pariah was always that character that showed up before in, in the original crisis pariah always showed up and and warned each of the doomed Universes that you're about to be destroyed, and he was—he had to bear witness to the destruction, and he was a very tragic character, as you uh, very aptly pointed out. But here he's become the villain, so he's—he's he's the hero that's become the villain. So what happened? And so we're naturally—that story is likely going to play itself out. What happens in this issue is. Flowing from last issue, uh, Darkseid fights, of course, fights the Empty Hand. And the Empty Hand taunts him by by saying, you know, come into the great darkness. Darkseid, you, you've always wanted to control the great darkness. Come on in. He taunts him. And Darkseid follows suit, follows the Empty Hand right into the great darkness. And it's it's basically what it looks like. Apparently, it's, it's a trap. Meanwhile, the other people on Earth-7, like uh, Grail and Orion suddenly they, they think Darkseid is either dead or taken off the playing field, swallowed by the great darkness. Orion then becomes the new high, he's Orion, the son of Darkseid, under the right of succession. He becomes the new, I guess, Lord Ruler of Apocalypse and the Apocalyptic Forces. Uh, and um, uh, and and Grail and Grail points that out to him. Now, Grail is the daughter of Darkseid. If I have one issue here, I, I don't think that Grail, I think Grail would, I mean, Grail right away seems to side with Orion and say, you know, you're, you know, I'm going to, you know, you're my leader now. You're, you're the son, right of succession. I don't, I, I see Grail. I, I don't think Grail would, I think Grail would, would fight Orion for that right to be leader of Apocalypse. But that never happened here. Uh, I disagree with Williamson's uh, characterization of Grail. I think Grail would be, Grail's part Amazon as well as uh, uh She's part of Amazon as well as being the daughter of Darkseid, so I see her as being more aggressive that way. But in any event, that's my minor little nitpick. Orion becomes the leader of these of the forces of apocalypse and he's got Grail under him and he doesn't really want to do that, but he it's a you know, it's happening. So instead of Dark Side is, it's Orion is. Orion is. Meanwhile, the Thunderer, uh, one of the members of the of uh, the of the I guess you could say the Avengers of (laughs) Earth-7, uses his world storm to destroy Earth-7 and contain the Great Darkness, while the Justice League incarnate, uh, Calvin, Doctor Universe, uh, Avery, etc., they end up going into the Great Darkness themselves, and they end up in this world where the pariah lives, and right away Doctor Universe senses that there's something evil about pariah. And she says, you can't let Pariah touch you. You can't let him touch you. We got to get out of here. And it's a world where there's an artistic change as well. And it looks like an idyllic world. The coloring is different. It almost looks like a Silver Age kind of DC world, which is very, I think, reminiscent of the type of comic books, the way DC comic books were drawn in many ways of the Silver Age, a sort of innocent, sort of like, you know... uh, innocent sort of like 1960s early 70s look to the yards and, and to the feel and 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 very much probably like the world that pariah lost uh back prior to the during the original crisis so i think all this art and everything that williams has done has been very intentional and this is very rewarding um for a long-time reader like me who's familiar with all the crises, all these things are deliberate intentional choices and if you're familiar with the crises, I think that one can be even more rewarded by what the visuals are are telling us. And I mean that final page showing all the all the elements of the great darkness and this is this is the build up. The next issue is Justice League 75. So what happens after this is Justice League 75 which is again really no spoilers, we know it's going to be the death of the Justice League. It's everywhere. But to, to see, we got Darkseid, Eclipso, uh, Ares, and Necron, Doomsday, The Empty Hand. Um, uh, yes, I'm missing one, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> Neuron. I mean, all these forces and with the power of the Great Darkness uh, battling the Justice League. So, yeah, this is a lot of fun. I, and I'm just, as a, as a As a DC fan, I'm loving this. And I'm looking forward to Justice League 75. And just for what it's worth, I got to quickly add, Williamson says, you know, everyone, this Justice League 75, this is, Justice League 75 is just one more chapter. And there's a lot more coming after Justice League 75. Justice League 75 takes the Justice League off the playing field. But all the mainstream titles, Superman, Flash, all of them, they're still going to have their individual stories. So they're not taken off the playing field in their own individual stories. There's going to be, you know, Justice League, there's going to be Death of Justice League tie-ins for each of the individual heroes. So the way that DC Editorial appears to be handling their continuity is even though Justice League 75 will, will technically kill off the Justice League, you know, we're still going to be getting... Philip Kennedy Johnson's full story of Superman in action comics. We're still going to have Jeremy Adams' Flash play out. And it's, it's going it's to, at some point in the future, this, those titles are going to build into Justice League 75, which we're going to see in advance. So uh, I, think that, I think they've done enough planning here. I, I think it's, it's an exciting time for DCI. I don't know about you, but I think there's some excitement building inside me. I'm really looking forward to this. And I, I hope it catches on uh, to more of a mainstream audience, not just a, a diehard like myself.
0: Yeah, I, the continuity. You're right. I mean, it's not. It's not going to line up. I mean, it'll make sense eventually, but that goes to what I've talked about before, where it, I don't feel like, and I have mixed feelings, and I've said that before as well, because I don't necessarily want to have to buy the entire line in order to get the Dark Crisis storyline. But if this is affecting everything, then it it should be. You know, they should all line up, but they don't because want to let those other creators tell tell the stories they want so yeah but you're right about that final page too i think uh black hand i don't know that you mentioned him and then we have the upside down man as well but every one of those characters (laughs) that i mean the coloring on it you know they're all these are dark characters aries very dark doomsday obviously dark neuron the dc's version of the devil or mephesto very dark Eclipso, i mean it's right there in the name eclipse right so Yeah. yeah these are dark characters and you know Came them up a dark side. I mean, that, that, that's going to be formidable, and it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, you said one thing I'm not sure that I I, I buy into, and that's that Prya is going to be the big bad. Uh, it, it does seem like he's wielding the power of the great darkness, but I, I don't know that. Is he more of a puppet of the great darkness, or is he? You know, I'm not sure who's who's higher in the hierarchy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it is it Prya that's managed to somehow? wield the power of the great darkness or is it the great darkness influencing pariah? So now, it'll you, be could interesting be right. to you absolutely
1: could be right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Is it the great darkness that you would, we would consider the great, <laughs> uh, the big bad, or is it, it pry, I guess it remains to be seen. So, uh, all right. Up next we have dark Knights of steel number five. Wow. The ending of this one, just crazy. I don't know that I, uh, that I agree with it. Um, especially because I reread the first three issues. Uh, because as I mentioned, there is a, a collection of the first three issues called Dark Knights of Steel Gathering Storm that's coming out this week as well. And I, I read that um, just to kind of refresh myself. And then I read this and it was like, mm, I don't know that, that the events that uh, Rocky, I'm sure, will share with you in a minute, minute will really make <laughs> sense. But Be That As It May, written by Tom Taylor. Art is by Yasmin Putri. Colors by Arif Prianto. Letters by Wes Abbott. Uh, yeah. What were your thoughts, Rock?
1: Well, I, uh, let say I, th- this, this particular issue is called lost souls. And I think by the time we're done talking about it, I think it's an appropriate title for this particular issue, lost souls, because <laughs> there's, there's definitely one soul that appears to be lost here. And wow, that the revelation at the end, like, boy, it's in fact, calling the first three issues, a gathering storm and collecting those first three issues and calling it a gathering storm. That's appropriate because this fourth issue, the storm hits because it's a storm of revelation that you know is going to set the tone moving forward and and wow, does it ever! Uh, this issue opens up with Zala, the uh, the sister of uh, kalal of uh, Prince Cal, uh, basically finally making it back to her her homeland, and we believe that Zala is responsible for killing uh, the son of King Pierce, and. Uh, Apparently she's not. She appears. She doesn't know what no one's talking about. She's. She can't believe she's been accused of that. And so it. It. You know. If if Zala. Who, who was it? If if Zala didn't. It certainly looked like Zala who was responsible for killing uh, King Pierce as, as as well as killing uh, his son Jacob, and. Uh, you know she she has a good heartfelt moment with her with her brother uh, Prince Cal. Meanwhile, a a good bulk of the issue for uh, Harley and Harley and Poison Ivy fans, there's uh, Harley Quinn enters the forest where there's poison uh, with Poison Ivy, and Poison Ivy has is this particular Poison Ivy is a creature of the forest and clearly has a a fascination and a love for the Harley character, which of course shouldn't surprise anyone. But it's very clearly there's there's an attraction, at least by Poison Ivy, toward Harley. I'm not I'm, it, it wasn't clear to me that that attraction was reciprocated by Harley here, so that's it's kind of interesting. I wonder if if um, I'm really curious to see how Tom Taylor's going to move this relationship between this iteration of Harley and Poison Ivy forward, but I think I think it's very interesting. Art. The art is fantastic. I love this issue. Uh, Wonder Woman makes her way through the forest, and there's a there's a great battle sequence between Poison Ivy and Wonder Woman, which is broken up essentially by, by, by Harley. She's uh, she's she lets them know what's ha- that that Zala. You know, uh, we know that Wonder Woman and and I guess the Supergirl Zala. Uh, they they have a relationship with each other. So clearly, there's a lot of uh, same sex representation in the, in this series. And, uh, I, I think it works. It, it works fantastic. And I, I'm, I'm really curious to know that there's Zala, you know, Diana tells Zala that, you know, people are thinking you killed King Pearson. She's like shocked by this. Meanwhile, we know, Alfred told Bruce, uh, told, uh, Bruce Wayne that, that he's, he's really the half brother of Cal and that Jorel was his father. And, you know, J- and he's got the piece of of kryptonite that he from the from the fallen starship from the skies, and he goes and he tells Cal all about it. And he didn't want, you know, he didn't, he doesn't want his brother to know, you know. He he wants he wants him to know that you know we're half brothers, and and he and he's thinking that you know you, you need to know this. And then out of the blue, wow, um, just when you least expect it, and the way it's the way it's choreographed here, you know. Uh, Batman says I I didn't want you to feel shame or for you to you know that I'm that he's also Jarl is also my father and then Kal-El out of the blue stabs stabs his brother his half brother with the kryptonite and takes him up to the sky and it's clear that all this time, it would appear that Cal's been the the villain all along, waiting for his parents to die. Perhaps even was the machinations behind it all. Is Cal responsible for the assassination of his own father by at the hands of the Green Man, who shot the arrow? Uh, who utilized Oliver Green G- to shoot the arrow into the eye of his father? He's responsible for everything, and. and is Cal responsible? I mean, I thought we had Lex Luthor. We thought this this Lex Luthor slash Joker hybrid was the the true villain behind everything. But is it is the true villain really Cal? It's it's heartbreaking. And then a twist on everything at the end. You know, he leaves his he leaves Batman for dead, uh, and it's found by I guess the John the version of Jonathan and Martha can't find a, a a dying Bruce Wayne with a kryptonite. St- sh- Shard shoved in his chest, and uh, it would appear that Kalal thinks likely thinks that his half brother is dead, but he's not. And wow, just plain wow. It's uh, it, this was a huge shock, and and it'll be interesting to hear your comments because I'm not sure. I'm still processing this. I'm not sure if I'm I'm I'm, I'm excited. Yet at the same time, I'm thinking, well, didn't he make Superman, the villain in Injustice, and isn't this kind of the same thing, but in medieval times, and maybe I was hoping for a little bit of something different, but yet, this does feel different, I mean, even though Superman might be the villain here, this feels very different to me than Injustice, it's a very different setting, and it's, I, so I'm still excited, and I have a sneaking suspicion that the misdirections aren't over yet, and who the hell knows? Maybe there's more to this than meets the eye. So I'm really curious about your thoughts, Jace. What do you think of it?
0: Well, I mean, it did come as a shock. And and that's okay to, to, to surprise us and, and give us a twist that wasn't expected. Does this mean that Cal's working with the green man? I didn't necessarily get that. I, I, I sort of got that he seems to be on his own side. And just taking advantage of, of circumstances. Um, maybe. Yeah. But it also felt out of character for what we've had so far. And I thought, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there were clues in the early issues that I missed. And that's also part of the reason that I went ahead and read the, the, the uh, Gathering Storm, be, the, collected those first three issues. Because I was like, well, maybe if I go back and read those, I'll, I'll find some hints that this was coming. I didn't see them there. And so, I, I, you know, I can't help but wonder if – that this wasn't really – to go back to something we complained about with Naomi, if this wasn't really earned uh, because this came out of the blue and was unexpected and maybe that's what Taylor wants to do. He, he wants to, to blindside us with something. Mm. But I don't know. Um, coming on the heels of, of Bruce admitting to Cal that, you know, he's, he's Jor-El's son as well, it felt very petty – um, and it didn't feel like kal and I know that I, I tend to be a little more overly sensitive in depictions of uh, of Superman doing things that I don't feel are consistent with the character. So that didn't really sit that well with me. But maybe I was willing to wait and see what happened and and be willing to buy into it. But then on the top of, on top of that, with you know, Bruce being taken way up in the sky and then dropped into a field and found by Jonathan Kent and Martha Kent, who we know are the ones that instilled such a, a sense of, of morality in Superman. Um, but then finding Batman, it seems like the, the hint being that, okay, well, now Batman's going to end up being the savior. And – I don't know if you read the thread between Dark Knight Nation and I today and, uh, on our group Twitter. <laughs> oh my god, are you kidding me? Batman is going to be the big savior of this. I am so sick of Batman being the end-all, be-all at DC Comics. Like i I can again, I can get with this idea of you know Superman, this version of Kal El, not having had that influence of. Jonathan and Martha Kent to instill a sense of morality. He's never had to really fight for anything. He's, you know, when basically since he can remember, his parents were you know king and queen of this kingdom and what have you. But there still should be something inherent in in Superman. We see it in things like Red Sun, right, where he wasn't found by Jonathan and Martha Kent. Things like the Nail, where eventually his his own morality, his own strength of character wins out, and that that still could be the case here. Uh, but I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little worried, and especially seeing Martha Kent and Jonathan Kent save Bruce, and they're going to go nurse him back to health or whatnot, and he's going to be the the big savior, and Superman will end up being the villain. That'll—I wouldn't say it'll ruin the story for me, but it'll—it won't make this, uh, you know, something that I would go back and revisit. So, you know, maybe it will be for some people and it just won't end up being for me. Uh I do agree that the art's fantastic. I absolutely loved the the scenes with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. That was fantastic. Th- th- this version of Poison Ivy like her as a court jester. I mean, it's it's super on the- I mean, that's where her costume and her name comes from, you know? In a lot of ways. Yeah. Um but she I love that Taylor doesn't just give us this goofy or crazy court jester version of of harley quinn she she's clearly intelligent um and i and i like that so uh yeah as far as um is it Zara, zala is her name right Zala, um, yeah, zala, yeah. yeah I, again i having gone back and read those first three issues because i'm like what did it not look like her I, mean, I went back and read those first three issues it looks exactly like her yeah. so <laughs> yeah. obviously you know there's magic in this in this world. And so it could be somebody disguises her, but it's sure the hell looks exactly like her. So again, if this is Tom Taylor and he's going to pull the rug out from under us, I, I don't mind that necessarily, but I also like if there's at least a little hint or a little clue that well, maybe there, goes right over your head when you read it the first time. But when you go back, you can go, Oh yeah, I well, see it now. And there uh, wasn't think, any of that.
1: Well, there might be one, one little bit of a clue, uh, although it's very subtle, uh, when he has super, when he has Batman up and up in the sky, he says to him before he drops him on the ground, he says there can be no challengers. We have to remember that in earlier issues, Cal was very. Remember they, they imprisoned all the other medieval versions of the Justice League are actually imprisoned. They're actually prisoners in the land of L. There's the yeah, I didn't take and that. So, and so you got to, and the one that seemed most adamant about keeping them in prison was Cal. And he did mention that more than once. Now, his father likely did as well, but it wasn't really touched upon. So, because it was an open question, it was, and we've not gotten the answer until now. We know why, what was the threat of all these other metahumans that they had to put them away? Like, what was the threat? You know, clearly, I mean, jor never really, King Jorel never really came across as someone that, w- did he really feel that they were threats? I'm wondering if that was all just a machination of his son, Cal. No, I didn't take
0: it that way. I did not take it that way at all. I, I took that there can be no challengers based on the fact that Bruce just told him, I am also your father's son. He, I took that to, to be, there could be no challengers for the yeah. throne. Like there, there, it's gotta be pure blood house of L as the ruler. He can't allow Bruce to, yeah. to remain alive. If somebody were to find out that Bruce was uh, was jor son, son, uh, then he could, Technically, you know, they're half brothers. So okay. Bruce technically has a claim to the throne. So that's
1: what I took yeah. it as. Doesn't you got to wonder if Zala. Med- Zala is also on the kill list as well, his own sister.
0: Right. And again, what, and I'm, when I say there's no clues, I'm talking about before this. Before this issue, there was no hints that kal could possibly be the bad guy. Before this issue, when uh, Zala kills Jacob – there's no hints in that issue when those events take place that it's not Zala. That's what I'm talking about. I Give yeah. me a little something that I can go back and look and be like, oh yeah, look at how subtle that is. Maybe it wasn't really her. Look at something that Kalel said early in the series where it hinted that he was going to do this heel turn. You know, maybe there are, you know, things in this particular issue when the events happen like that, there can be no challengers. But again, I, you know i i did not take it that way i took that they were imprisoning people because they are uh vulnerable to magic and so anybody who comes into the kingdom that has magical powers they are uh they're paranoid they lost their world they you know they they've come to a medieval version of our world where you know humanity is not as Uh, connected as it will be, you know, like later in our time, because it's a, you know, it's a medieval world. It's, it's part of the the culture, part of the society because of, it's not a technologically advanced world. So, but yeah, uh, remains to be seen how much this will all play out. Was it Zala? Was it not? Is, is, will kal kill Zala? Is she on the kill list as well? Like Rocky said, a lot of questions to still be answered, um, which goes back to something we said before and several times, this is only a 12-issue mini. We're, we're on issue five. It feels like there's like 24 issues worth of story that's only to be explored, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, okay. Right. Up next, Detective Comics number 1055. This is from writer Mariko Tamaki. Amon K. Nahalapan, who's now the third artist we've had on this arc, uh, handles the line work. Jordi Belair on colors. Ariana Mare on letters. Uh, we're We're up to the day. We're now on the day where Dr. Weir dies, uh, the day that the the series started on. I think it's day 24 of um, of Arkham Tower. We're told Batman's still missing. We see Dr. Chase Meridian uh, in prison. We see Weir go out the window. We see um, Dick Grayson rescuing... Uh, or trying, attempting to rescue Psycho Pirate, or I shouldn't say rescue, but extract him from uh, from Arkham Tower. So yeah, the the inmates are literally running the prison. The shit is hitting the fan. A um, lot of action here. Uh, but I would say artistically, with, with it's not close. This is my least favorite issue. Um, and I don't necessarily want to point the finger at the line work of Amon K and the Halepin, but... Uh, it, it's that line work. In addition with the colors, for some reason, Jordi Belair colors this issue so much darker than all the previous issues. And I don't necessarily feel like Amon K's colors or line work rather need to be this dark, but it's jarring to me how much darker this is than, than previous issues. Uh, I don't know if she's trying to add menace or whatever. I mean, Jordi Belair is a super talented color artist. So yeah, that, that bothered me a, a little bit, how dark the colors were. Um, but it was a super breakneck pace um, with Nightwing, unfortunately, not, not making it out of, uh, of the tower. Obviously, um, Mayor Nakano is, is completely preoccupied with his wife being trapped uh, in the tower as well. So how that's all going to play out, we'll have to wait and see. And then um, we get the reveal at the end that Scarecrow is back with his. Uh, I, what is it about DC where when <laughs> when somebody decides to kind of level up a bat villain, they've got to shove him down our throat like nonstop? I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, well, I thought he was
1: incarcerated. Would, like where, where did where did Scarecrow come from? I, yeah. was he, like I thought he yeah. was in a different prison, but I guess he was in Arkham Tower too. It's just this. I mean it's just it's just insane already, I mean, come on, like yeah well and it's
0: and he's not I don't know I just it happened with Joker, and Joker's been shoved down our throats for the last two decades now. It happened with the Riddler when he got leveled up by Scott Snyder in Batman Year Zero, and now it's happened with with Scarecrow, with this new design that James Tynan came up with, and his whole idea of fear as you know a way to evolve cities and whatever and it's just like man i hate his look i really don't like the new design um i I don't understand the the constant need to to push the envelope with these with these villains just let the villains be who they are um like i get it you've and this is the problem we've talked about many many times about how you every writer tries to one-up in terms of making batman cooler and more powerful so then in turn you have to make the villains more powerful and they end up as these plot devices instead of actual characters and that's on top of, you know, your point of, yeah, it wasn't, I mean, Batman took him. We saw it in first state Omega, Batman yeah. took him to Blackgate and yeah. put him there. And here he is with his stupid straw hat and this stupid gas mask with the giant nose uh, showing up again. It's like, man, this is about the last Batman villain. The only way this could have been worse. Had it been the Joker, I even would have accepted the Riddler more so than than Scarecrow. I am Scarecrowed out. I'll tell you what. Um, so I don't know. I, I question that choice by Mariko Tamaki. And I, I question whether it was needed because this was going along great with just Psycho Pirate and Dr. Where's Khan. Like yeah. that was fine. There's enough menace with all of these uh, inmates, you know, would-be inmates of Arkham Asylum that are now – you know, free of Psycho Pirate's control, that—that's a menace enough. Now you got it. I mean, I, again, I just yes. question the need to throw Scarecrow in there, but yeah, I'm I holding. You. I, I'm reserving judgment because you know he shows up right at the end, and maybe, maybe it's going to make sense. But I mean, next issue, State of Fear. Like I was glad Fear State ended. <laughs> I think you and I both were. Yeah. Now we're getting sucked back in, sucked back in in a way. So yeah,
1: I I really like Annihilation and I like Nero. I I I was kinda hoping Anna yeah. and Nero here, they know once they kill Doctor Ware, Anna Volshin, and Nero, they're they're both aware that some that, that there was another voice in their head that somebody else is in control. And so they're looking for Psycho Pirate. And I kinda like I I I, I was I was the most interesting character in this arc was Anna Anavulsion Anna Volshin and Nero are very interesting characters. One of the things that I'm gonna take out of this tower series, this tower story uh, arc, is is Nero and an avulsion? I actually like these. I'm I'm actually curious. I I think they're more of an they're they're an interesting addition to Batman's rogues. And I, I I don't I didn't need the Scarecrow to show up. I agree with you. Why do we need Scarecrow to show up wanting revenge? You know, it just seemed revenge. Well, I guess he, he's 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 always pissed off with the people of Gotham. Revenge against whom? I mean. Why not let Anna Volshin and the inmates have their revenge? They're the ones that have their revenge. To me, we haven't seen Scarecrow this entire series. We, we saw these other inmates. The, the most logical people who, who should want revenge are the inmates who've been psychologically manipulated by Psycho to have To have uh, Scarecrow show up and rob them of their agency and their revenge when he hasn't formed part of this story after we've just been drowned with Fear State and now... It's it feels very very disappointing because I've I've been enjoying this story arc and I was disappointed with this revelation this final page I've been enjoying this you know I it's nine parts but I've been having fun it's an adrenaline rush and I've been probably enjoying it more than most but this disappoints me seeing Scarecrow maybe this isn't an, a, a an, an hallucination who knows uh, but I don't think so because Psycho Pirate he's elsewhere in here he's he's actually in front of uh, Doctor uh, uh, or uh, uh, wife, he's with her. So it's going to be interesting to see how, what, what role Psycho Pirate plays. And uh, now in fairness, I have to say who would win in a battle of the mind, you know, you're going to have Scarecrow's fear gas versus this, the, the psych, the hallucinations of Psycho Pirate or the mental manipulations of Psycho Pirate versus the, the fear of Scarecrow. So that might make for an interesting sort of, uh, battle if if that's where this is headed but in any event we'll we'll see i mean it's not i mean hey marika tamaki she you know the ending might surprise me i just but like you i think uh scarecrow was it's a redundancy that we're getting far too soon out of fear state
0: yeah and we had don't forget there's mr freeze as well so it's not like we (laughs) needed it just felt so unnecessary yeah yeah like uh uh, we just got a ton of it, – it, it definitely feels like, again, a, a, a trope that DC falls into where they just like overuse a Bat villain. Like his – his uh, Rogue's Gallery is so deep, you know? Um, and as much as I like Tom King, like his whole entire run, nearly 100 issues, is all Bane, mm-hmm. you know? Like, man, give us some variety. It, it felt like in the 90s when I – like really what I considered my, my heyday of Batman reading – Um, when I enjoyed it the most, uh, yeah, every arc, it was somebody different. It was the KG beast. And then it was, uh, the Mad Hatter and then it was black mask and, you know, then it was the Riddler and uh, now it just, they give us one and they beat us over the head with it until we're, you know, sick of them. (laughs) Um, it's just, it's unfortunate. So, uh, all right. Well, we do have the backup, which we found out, uh, last issue is sort of set in the, um. during the nightfall era um, or at least last, last issue was. Uh, so this time house of Gotham chapter nine Ma- by writer, Matthew Rosenberg, Fernando Blanco as artist, Jody Blair on colors, Rob Lee on letters. We've quickly gone from uh, nightfall now to no man's land. Um, and this, again, this boy whose name, we still don't know who is, uh, who survived the, the, the attack by asbats and learning to walk again Um and is actually in rehab when uh, no man's land happens and then uh, is out trying to, to survive. Um, And we do get a sense that for all his uh, trauma and what he's been through in life, he's, he's, he's pretty capable and he's, he can stand up for himself. Uh, We see him stand up to this. uh, Well, first of all, killer croc for one. And then this other guy who's sort of in charge of the the camp where he stays named the poet,
1: poet. The yeah poet that he calls himself yeah
0: so uh yeah again i'm i'm this is building a very interesting story by rosenberg it's like i want to know who this kid is so badly but it's he's telling a compelling story despite that part of it and what i mean by that is like if all i can compare it to is um the whole Red X mystery in Teen Titans and how that is, has become annoying because it's the, it feels like it's the only interesting thing about the character mm. is the mystery of who it is. And so when, you're, when that gets dragged out, it just becomes kind of like, well, there's no other hook. There's not, nothing else interesting about the character other than who he is, and, and I want to know who it is, but you keep dragging it out. This kid and the story Rosenberg is telling is interesting in its own right. And the fact that we don't know who he is or what the significance of his identity is, is not the end-all be-all of the story. He's crafting an interesting story that stands on its own. If we had gotten the information about who exactly this kid is right at the beginning and he tells the same story, I think it's just as interesting. It may even be more interesting once we find out who he is and go back and do a reread with that knowledge of knowing who he is. So it's a difference between – using that idea of a, of a hook, of a mystery, of something inherently unknown about the character as something to enhance the character rather than something to, that defines the character. So I think that this is, a, is, is fascinating. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Matthew Rosenberg doesn't get enough credit for, for what he's doing. I, I haven't heard anybody talking about this backup. Is anybody even reviewing it except us? I don't know. It's fantastic. Uh-huh.
1: I uh, I know and uh you know, this is nine parts. This is the character this is a character arc in nine parts on this kid. And I'm trying to remember the last time I've read nine chapters of anything and we don't know who the main character is. I mean, I I, I can't think of the last time that's ever happened. So kudos to Matthew Rosenberg here. This kid is is really he's a survivor. And this, this kid has made mistakes. He's screwed up. He was, he was screwed up to begin with. He was evaluated by Dr. Harleen Quinzel in in the opening chapter. He had a trauma, you know, that was largely attributed to Batman. A lot of the traumas that he's had in his life are somehow Batman related, whether it's uh, the mainstream Batman or whether it's the Azrael as Batman during, uh, during the nightfall. And now, now we have no man's land and, he actually befriends Killer Croc. Uh, he actually makes a deal with Killer Croc, you know, cuz they're looking for food. He ha- this kid knows how to make friends. This kid actually has loyalty. So, we thought this kid was screwed up, but he actually knows how to maintain friendships. He actually has a sense of honor about him. So, he's not he's, it's not just that he's screwed up. He actually has a good noble side about him and he, he's not he's not afraid to make deals. I mean, he makes a deal with Killer Croc here that they will they'll they'll work together to give, you know, you know in regard to food and supplies. And it's clear at the end here that the deal he makes is likely to sacrifice this bully. The poet is probably going to, you know, Killer Croc is probably going to kill him. You know, that's hinted at on, on the final page. And this is all during No Man's Land. This kid's a survivor. Now, who who does this kid become? Because you got to remember, out of No Man's Land, uh, when, when Gotham became, a, a, you know, recovered from No Man's Land, and if this kid rose in the ranks during no man's land, who is this kid now what now that Gotham is a vibrant city again after, you know, ten years later? I mean it's it's re it's really, really curious. Who is this kid? And you're absolutely right. And uh, you know, there's this the speculator side of me is thinking, all these people that weren't paying attention to this backup, you know, who cares about Arkham Tower? Who is this redhead? Who's this redheaded yeah. stepchild? <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I, you, I do wonder about that timeline. I mean, obviously it's comic book time, but yeah. I, I looked it up because I was I was like, man, it doesn't seem like No Man's Land was that close to Nightfall. It it was five years. Like Nightfall happened 93, 94. Yeah. Um, and then No Man's Land started in 1999. So that's five years. And this is like the kid gets hurt. And then the next issue, he's being rehabilitated. Obviously not that much time has passed. Comic book time. I don't mind the sliding thing. Rosenberg makes it work. So – yeah, we'll see. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the next book, Monkey Prince, number two, Enter the Monkey, part two of four from writer Jean Luen Yang, Bernard Chang, handles the line work, Sebastian Cheng on colors, Janice Chiang on uh, letters. So it's uh, an all Asian uh, creative team here. Yang, Chang, Chang, and Chiang, uh, and Jessica Chen on uh, as the editor. So it's definitely steeped in in asian lore and these people would be the ones that that know um I wasn't a huge fan of the first issue uh I, I don't remember if you liked it or not
1: to be honest rocky but what do you think of issue 2 well I, I just i don't think that this comics for me i i, I just i this is just so weird i uh, it's 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 one of those things where i don't um it's not that it's not that it's a bad comic. It's just that it's so weird to me. It's just weird. I I just don't have. I just don't care about a, a kid that turns into a monkey. I, I I don't get it. I understand, and I've 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 never heard of the Monkey Prince, and I know he's got a big history in Japan or wherever it might be. But I I just don't I I don't I don't really get it. I. Um, but in any event, I, let's be fair here. Let's be fair. So this there's some comedy here there's some comedy here I mean it's Batman and robin taking on this monkey prince there uh there's there's a serial killer that that's in Gotham and meanwhile there's this uh there's this kid who's um whose parents uh mr and mrs Shugelshin are they're actually parents that work for the penguin they've worked for various rogues galleries and they're basically criminals and meanwhile unbeknownst to them their son has you know has accessed the power of the monkey prince and then there's this there's this talking pig uh, that somehow has given him this mythological power. Every time that, that, as the monkey prince, if he succumbs to fear, he resorts to his human form and he'll die. Uh, while he's the monkey prince, he can lose all his limbs, he can lose his head, his arms, anything. But if he if he gives into fear and he'll go back into his human form and then he'll die, obviously, if he's missing his head. <laughs> now obviously Batman and Robin especially Batman there's some humor here Batman's almost a little bit embarrassed that they're fighting this monkey without a head and it's it's really odd and uh yeah it's just it's crazy this pr- professor uh this Damien is Damien actually goes to the same school Damien is undercover as a reporter for the school newspaper, and he interviews this. I can't even remember this. This. this, this I don't. Even, what's the kid's name again? I don't even know the Monkey Prince's actual identity. I forget his name. Um, uh, in any yeah. event, <laughs> I. I just. I, this is what I mean. Like I'm not. I'm Marcus. I'm just, Marcus, thank name. you. Marcus yes. is a nice enough character but Marcus doesn't Marcus doesn't he's not really at this point too interested in being the monkey prince he's I think he's a little bit traumatized being talked to by a by a pig by a fat by a, literally a fat pig that that has mythological powers um meanwhile meanwhile the penguin himself the penguin accessed some golden armor which 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 made the penguin become possessed and Marcus's parents the the shingleshins are who work for the penguin they they, they are aware of what 's happening to the penguin, and the penguins the the penguin is possessed by these mythological forces, and these mythological forces want the penguin who 's wearing this golden armor to consume the soul of a hero or a saint and of course, because this mythological creature is is merged with the penguin, the penguin wants to destroy the soul of Batman. And, um, in the meantime, I want to give, I want to give the writer, um, uh, Jean Lun Yang some credit here. He does do some character work here. Marcus is, uh, we, we meet Marcus's, uh, he's got a girlfriend, uh, Kea. And, uh, there's, there, there's, there's the school bully here as well. That plays a role. There's, there's. There's a there's a lot of character work. In fact, I mean, they're actually in a school. There's, you know, they, they this pig character is actually a janitor and and he's, you know, clearly he wants to avoid being the monkey prince, but it keeps trying to manifest itself on him and clearly there's something else going on here there there's some other myths or story at play there there's definitely something here that if you're new and you're looking for a new character to get into this is a this is a good story i don't want to say it isn't it's just it's odd i'm it's it doesn't it feels so different from the mainstream dc universe that i'm accustomed to i i think that in fairness i'm not giving this a, a fair enough <laughs> shake as i should but but it this is well written there is character work here it does have humor it's I just <laughs> I just find myself more kind of shaking my head and, and everything. But you know, Jane Lun, Lin Yang, he 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 knows how to craft interesting characters, and there there is a lot of fun to be had here. I'm actually more interested in what the experience of her his parents are. There's a great scene where where his parents and him are having supper together, and he says, you know, so what happened at work? What happened with you with you, you at work today, mom and dad, and mom and dad? Oh, nothing, nothing interesting. Well. You know, uh it's funny like they're you know both it's interesting that both parents they're supervillains or work for a supervillain and their son is a superhero that's a very interesting dynamic that we don't we don't really see the last time we saw that I that I even saw anything remotely close to that was in Brian Von Brian K. Uh, runaways over at Marvel so this is kind of an interesting twist on that and because it takes place in Gotham with in the same school that Damien's going to there is, it. there's, there's a lot of potential here for an ongoing storyline.
0: Yeah. I mean, at least they're bringing the penguin in, in terms of trying to, to ground it, you know, um, and it's, but it's this obviously di- different version of the, the golden horn penguin. You know, he's got this mask on. It sort of looks penguin like, but it's, yeah, he's got this giant, like rhinoceros horn or unicorn horn coming out of his, his forehead, which is, which is interesting. So, uh, but I think you said Japanese. It's it's this is Chinese folklore. I monkey Prince.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, I think um, pretty sure all, all the creative team are, are Chinese. So, I, I agree with you in that if we knew more, if we were of Asian descent, if we if we knew more about uh, Chinese folklore and the Monkey Prince, uh, maybe we'd be getting more out of this. Because yeah, I, I know nothing about you know Chinese myths and. You know basically chinese uh fairy tales i that that that's what a lot of this is based on with the monkey prince and with this mr Zhu, who you know transforms into this um yeah this this fat pig for, for lack of a better word who's um you know <laughs> uh, uh i think a fixture in in chinese folklore as well so um, I, I will say that I think the art by Bernard Chang is fantastic. I absolutely love the the look of the Monkey Prince. Uh, I think his costumes is fantastic, and he's he's a fun character. The color work; it's a very bright book. But yeah, am I am I getting all everything that's being put out? No, because I I just don't have the the vocabulary for it, and that, and that's okay. Um, I hope there are a lot of you know Asian kids, uh, kids from. Uh, from Chinese families who are checking this out and are getting a lot from it because they know the stories, you know, that have been passed down from previous generations. At least I, at least I hope that's the case. Um, But I, I sort of feel the same way about you. Like do I really want to read a story about a kid that turns into a monkey. Cause here's the thing, like it's been talked about many, many times. And I know people personally that are like, man, if you put a monkey on the cover of a comic, if it's uh, you know, whatever Kong gorilla or uh, what was the one by Arthur Adams um, monkey man and O'Brien like yeah. monkeys sell comics. I, I remember one summer, the big event was uh, like JL ape where all the members of the JLA annuals, they, they all crossed over and they, I don't know if they were transformed into apes or, or something like that, but, you know, like Batman, but he was an ape, Superman, <laughs> but he was an ape, Wonder Woman, he's an ape, yeah. Green Lantern, Green, all, all that. I remember being a big thing and it, like selling really, really well. For whatever reason, there's a big crossover between people who like to read comics and people who like to read about monkeys apparently. But I always thought it was really weird because <laughs> – I don't get that like I'm not I don't want to read about monkeys I don't care if there's a monkey in the there's a monkey in a comic it makes me want to read it less not want to read it more but I know I'm in the minority for whatever reason Um, people definitely seem to love
1: me both brother yeah
0: so (laughs) so yeah I I hope this is scratching an itch for some people Um, I'll finish it off uh, because it's only two more issues but I, you know, this isn't something I'd, I'd go seek out. It's just, again, not, not for me. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I think uh, it's scripted very well. It's paced very well. I've already talked about the art, but it's just not a, really a character that, that speaks to me. So, uh, well, let's move on. We are up to issue four on One Star Squadron, which is written by Mark Russell, which leaves us two issues to go. Uh, One Downsize Fits All is, called, is the name of the, the issue. Steve Lieber is the artist, Dave Stewart on colors, Dave Sharp on letters. Uh, I don't think neither Rocky nor I have really been enjoying this that much. And we know that Mark Russell can be a very political writer, very satirical writer. Um, and honestly, I think that at least for the first three issues of the series, it just felt almost – exploitative about the, kind of the trials and tribulations of these at best we'll call them D list heroes. They're probably a lot further down the alphabet than that. Uh, you know, when you're talking about guys like Minutemen and, Men and um, what is it? Red, red wolf or yeah. uh, is it red wolf or red, no red fox um, uh, firehawk. I mean, yeah, these are just <laughs> not heroes that, that show up very, very often. But what I will say about this particular issue is probably the issue that I have enjoyed the most of the series so far because it didn't really feel like it was falling down that same trope that it was m- making fun of. The heroes were or um, really kind of uh, poking fun at the really sad state of affairs that they're in. Uh, it didn't feel exploitative at all. It felt more, uh, more poignant and um, – like a little more of an examination of, of kind of corporate America, which I think is, is the point uh, of the series so far. So I enjoyed this issue more than, than any of the previous ones. I still don't think this is a, a series um, that I would go back and, and reread. Um, but I did appreciate, I think, more so in this issue, what Mark Russell was, is trying to do. Um, I mean, there was even – a point here that's uh that made me laugh out loud um basically when uh power girl so you know we thought that red tornado himself thought he was going to get fired um and power girl has been kind of going behind red tornado's back and listening to um or, or doing things that the board of directors has been telling her to do to kind of undermine him and uh it turns out no they're they've decided to get out of the hero business they're trying to sell it they want to lay off half the workforce so they can make it look more profitable and she's out the door and uh yeah it was it was pretty brutal they're like uh, ah, make sure to give uh your key card to red tornado before you leave and i was i just felt like oh damn like that was brutal so yeah uh maybe a little too close to home for some people who've you know lost <laughs> lost jobs before um but yeah, it felt a little more uh on the nose with um sort of a critique of corporate America rather than making fun of superheroes, but uh so I did enjoy this issue more than uh, than the previous, but it's still really depressing <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um so uh yeah, the other the other um the other part that made me laugh out loud was um When Red Tornado finds out that they have sold – they've sold it. They found a buyer and he's – and the head of the board directors is like, yeah, you're someone else's problem now. I mean it was either find a buyer or burn it down for the insurance money, right? Like, wow, that's brutal. And then, of course, the lawyer in the background saying I'm legally obligated to point out that was a joke. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, again, maybe all a little bit too on the nose, um, but – yeah, I, I can appreciate after reading this issue I, I can appreciate a little more what Mark Russell is trying to do and Steve Lieber is 100% the right artist for uh a story like this. He brings enough um of a cartoonist's uh, aesthetic to it with the right amount of realism. So, yeah, this issue like yeah, best best issue of the series so far, I'll say that. Any anything to add? <clears throat>
1: Well, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, I, for me, it wasn't the best issue of the series so far. I think, I, I think that was last issue when where, where Minuteman went to the, to the comic convention. That was my favorite. Cause I, it was just fun. Oh, he you ended remember. up in Comic-Con <laughs> jail? Yeah. Comic-Con jail. That was hilarious. Only because I personally have been in Comic-Con jail before. So I, I, I got a good chuckle out of that. <laughs> it's it's not a big deal <laughs> in any event I, I, this was just a depressing issue and it was I, it was almost kind of predictable and sadly it was everything that i kind of predicted kind of came to pass red tornado doesn't fire you know he red, red tornado was supposed to fire everybody or at least half half of them he has to choose and he doesn't he's supposed to specifically fire power girl he doesn't power girl finds out she he was supposed to fire her um, but before she finds out that Red Tornado decides that he doesn't want to fire anybody, Power Girl sort of leaves, car leaves, and she's she goes and she seems to be, I don't know, she's on a son of, so, she's sort of soul searching and she's thinking about something. I think she's probably planning something, although it's not clear what she's planning. Uh, and perhaps there's a suggestion. Somebody burns it down. Somebody burns down heroes for, for, yeah, uh, for you. I took the, it as Power Girl. I yeah, it it's Power sug- Girl it down. yeah, it suggests that maybe it was Power Girl. That's the implication because she. But but that's not. That's definitely not in the character. I don't think that's in the proper character for 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 Power Girl. But you know, frankly, I don't. I don't see Power Girl taking a – driving a car to work either. She can fly. I mean, I just. I mean, I know that Power Girl, at least in one incarnation, was a multi-billionaire. She was a billionaire, Karen Starr. And she gave her billions of dollars to uh, the next generation of Power Girl when she went back to Earth 2. But that was pre-Death Metal. So this obviously is in a... I don't even know if this is in continuity. I mean, this is... I almost don't even want it to be in continuity because it's so depressing. But in any event... It's it's clear that it's going somewhere, and this is just Mark Russell's sort of uh, sort of parody or making fun of the corporate powers that be. And at the end, the, the good guys here are going to get one over these corporate uh, bad guys, and um, you know they're going to get their comeuppance. And I I this issue was depressing. I hope that we have more humor in future issues. Mark Russell can be very funny when he. Uh, chooses to be but boy when he can he's also he's had some pretty big misses when he misses with the humor this was just all depression this issue was depression and i didn't find any humor in this issue and uh, that was the, so it's my it's probably one of my um not my favorite issue but i hope it ends on a on a higher note and i think it will i because god good lord it almost needs to because it, there's only one way up you know i don't want to you know short of and I'll have to take a Prozac after I'm done reading this just to get my, 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 my mood back up. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, how many more issues are left of this? Oh, two more issues. Two more. All right. Yeah. Two more. We'll see.
0: <laughs> all right. Now nice house on the Lake. We already mentioned it. Uh, it's returning after the, the reset button of issue six, where all the uh, prisoners of the house kind of learned what was going on with Walter being an alien. Uh, James Tynan is the writer. Alvaro Martinez Bueno handles the art, Jordi Valera on colors, and world design on letters. So picking up where that one left off with Walter uh, in the house now um, and Nora being the one who's uh, who's sort of separated. Why somebody always has to be separated, um, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I don't know. It's just... I thought it was strange. Uh, but yeah, I guess now that Reg is not the one separated and Nora is, it's a little bit of a different dynamic. And, uh, you know, Walter in his own words, says, Hey, I'm, I, he goes and talks to Nora and says, Hey, I'm, I'm trying something different this time. It's got to work. Well, what's got to work and why, and, and what about the revelation that Reg had, um, before Walter hit the reset button that, you know, maybe it's not too late to save the world. Like that, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm interested in. And I get that Tynan was building to something and then decided to swerve and hit that reset button. But in a way it's, it feels like it sets the story back in terms of momentum that we've had moving forward. And that's, I don't want to say it's frustrating because it's still a very compelling read. Um, but it does – I mean th- this is a big cast and is this really what you want to be spending real estate on? Us kind of – not necessarily going over ground we've already treaded on before, but we, we we had we had already taken a journey and now in a way we're, we're placed further back and now we're going to go on a different journey. I almost wish that we had spent some of that time fleshing out these characters a little, little bit more because – it's such a huge cast. Like, I feel like I need to go back and reread three or four times in order to, um, to make sure I have a handle on all these different characters. So yeah. uh, it's still a very good read, but it, it's a challenging read as well. Uh, what are your thoughts, Rocky?
1: Well, uh, the, the first the first six issues, we we're introduced to 10 different characters who ultimately came to know that, that the person that they grew one of the persons that they knew very well growing up, this Walter character, was in fact an alien, and he invited them all to this nice house on the lake for the express purpose of saving their lives while the world was destroyed. And they discovered that anything that they wanted, they could write down what they wanted, and it was brought to them. It magically appeared whatever they'd want they'd write it down, and it would appear the next morning and but they unfortunately, they were caged they can't leave this nice house on the lake. Meanwhile, the earth is destroyed, and it was building to a head, like you said, where it was discovered that look, maybe there's a way that you know one of one of the one of the uh people there discovered that well, maybe there's still a way to save the earth because there, there's a group of ten, and there was a suggestion that when when the ten start not getting along, if if they if if they don't get along and they fall apart, that's when humanity is going to be destroyed. And so, you know, if if you know, maybe there's a way that they can still save the planet. But before they could do that or put together in put together a plan, Walter erased all their memories, and now Walter has a plan, and Walter wants Nora's help. At the end of this issue, well, you got to wonder, doesn't Walter? Why doesn't Walter work with them? Why doesn't Walter let them all keep their memories and tell them what he needs from them? Because if they... if they, Why doesn't he just be honest with them and tell them exactly what's going on? Because he can always erase their memories anyway. So I'm a little surprised by Walter's stupidity here. If he can mind-wipe them at any time, why doesn't he just straight-up be honest with them? And then if they don't do what he asks... Then, sort of mind wiped them um so i'm i'm a little bit I'm a little bit surprised this was a lot of um uh, this was almost a wasted issue to me because where all these people have had their minds wiped, except for Nora at the end where she's kept separate from the rest of them, and so they're they're always you know they're right back to the middle of where they were in the in issue three or four where they're writing down what they need. I keep waiting for somebody to to wish for themselves to get a tape recorder or so that they can keep a video journal so that when their mind's wiped they can get a video journal and they can watch you know they can listen to a recording of themselves to remind themselves of what actually happened or maybe that's going to be a future plot point, but I'm thinking to myself do do none of these people keep a diary? What about the writer? Doesn't she check her notes? She can look at her notes the stuff that she writes down and in, in the past few days to see that i mean Walter. Does Walter go and remove all the all the keep you know all the previous writings that some of them have? What if some of them keep a diary? And anyways, um, I'm asking. I, I think I'm I'm still intrigued. I'm very fascinated by this. I just I, I feel, but like you, it's like God damn! It feels like we've gone back three or four issues. We're starting over again, and and this Walter seems to be surprisingly stupid for an alien that sort of planned for Armageddon. So. But uh, he never
0: I- you know he, he 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 has powers, no doubt, but he never came across at any point as a very intelligent being to me, mm-hmm. you know much more uh interested in emotion than any sort of intelligence, so while right. he wields great power, and I always assumed uh that anytime he wipes stuff that you know or he hits a reset button, I'll say that it does reset everything like there are no more notes or no more die like everything is reset to the point like, hey. House is reset to the to the moment that they saw the world fall, you know, come to an end on the TV screens. So anything that was written in diaries or whatever. And, and at least that's what I'm telling myself in my well,
1: head. You're canon. probably right. I, I yeah,
0: I'm just yeah, but but I yeah, but I, I mean, I think we're on the same page here. This is like, is this really the best? And and again, you know, who are we to question James? Tynan, he's an incredible writer, but <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. you know,
0: not know not knowing the end of the story, not knowing where it's going. I can't help but wonder, is, is this really the best like use of, of real estate on the page to, to, yeah, to reset and go back. And so,
1: yeah.
0: I don't know. I mean, it, it's one of the things that I, it, it's one of the reasons that I love director's cuts where I can get the script and, and or even uh, like some essays from the writer where he says, okay, on this page, here's what I'm doing. And you can learn so much about the characters because in James Tynan's mind, He may not need to flesh out these characters more because he knows them intimately. But as readers, we don't. And I I feel like that's the one thing about this, as much as I'm enjoying this series, the one thing that I I wish I understood. Like, I wish they had released uh, during the hiatus. How great would it have been to get like a who's who style? Something released could even been digitally. Here's all the characters and give me like a who's who like entry, you know. Oh, Nora went to high school here, and here's some of the highlights of her life, to, so that I know her better. You know what who I mean? or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would have yeah. been fantastic. A who's who? Uh, again, could even been digital, because uh, I just feel like I don't have a handle, and there's so many characters. Some like, I, I sometimes I have to stop and flip and go back a few pages and like try to figure out. Okay, wait, who's this person that's talking here? So. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's just on me reading so many comics and having this many characters. It's no, hard to keep. No, them I'm
1: I'm like you because there's ten characters here, and there's there's a writer, there's an architect, there's the pianist, yeah. there's the you know there's a, there's the doctor, there's and so I've actually my original notes from the first issue I've I've kept and I look at them every now and then to refresh my memory because you, I, you forget you know yeah <laughs> we read a lot of comics <laughs> yeah exactly and a month in between and this one though, it was like three
0: four months in between so yeah. Uh, anyway, let's move on. World of Krypton number four, written by uh, Robert Venditti, drawn by Michael Avon-Omin and Nick Flaherty on colors, lettered by Hassan Atman Elhau. Uh, again, Avon-Omin, we've talked about a lot. A little bit of a different style on his art, really working for me for this futuristic Krypton. Um, and it's re- the tension has been building. That's one of the things I, I love about it uh, as opposed to the, the previous World of Krypton – was written by Byrne with Mike Mignola, where four issues, and it covered like thousands of years. Each Between each issue, there was a, a big time jump. We're getting more of a slow burn from Venditti. It's still covering a, a period of time, but what's interesting is we knew from the first issue, hey, world's coming to an end, Jorel's knowledge of the uh, core of the, the planet becoming unstable. Um, but it's more of a slow burn as they release that information to the general public of Krypton, and what are they going to do about it? And I mean, a lot of parallels with our own uh, kind of our own world right now in terms of what people are willing to do for their fellow man and what people aren't willing to. Do. It's that old sci-fi movie trope, right? Where, uh, or or even a comic trope. Look at something like Watchmen, right? Where the whole the whole premise that Ozymandias uh, based his plan on was if there was a threat. You know whether you take it from the movie where it was an extra-dimensional threat with Squid showing up, or you take it from the comic, or you know alien invasion. Um, But that if there were a if there were a threat that threatened the whole whole planet, that would be something that would unify humanity, right? If there's anything, the last two three years have told us. Man, if the aliens come, you'll have some people that won't believe the aliens are really here. You'll have some people that will try to join the aliens. You'll have some people in the middle. It'll run the gamut. There will be no uniting of the species. That's just not a thing. And so here we have Jor-El and and, uh, Zod having that sort of philosophical argument. Their houses are are two of the great houses of Krypton, and they just – they have a a fundamental disagreement with the way to approach this. Zod wants to take a much more hands-on fascist approach which, I mean, it's hard to argue with based on what we've seen in our own reality, uh, you know, last couple of years, like, man, if you have to hold everybody down and give them a, a vaccination, maybe it's for the best in the long run if you want the species to survive, as opposed to Jorel saying, I have more faith in, in Kryptonians, they'll do the right thing. Yeah, it, this is not a debate or uh, an argument that has an answer. And that's what makes it so fascinating. But it's in, really interesting to see the, sort of the... Uh, the impetus of the um, the animus between these two great houses. You know, this is the root. This is the seed planted for this animosity where the House of El and the House of Zod become enemies. Uh, and again, I, I thought it was very well done by Robert Venditti, uh, beautifully illustrated by uh, Michael Avon Oming. And uh, I think there's, what, uh, t- two more issues of this to go, right? It's a six issue, yeah, uh, I believe. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, the other aspect of, of the issue that we got was jor brother, um, talking about how he's come to the same conclusions jor has, they've studied things, um, together, but as much as jor has on him, right, like the fate of the planet, he says, you know, he's head of the science council, he has the weight of, of all of this on him, um, but it, it still pales. It's it still, he, what is he says? all of it is lighter than one little girl, right? The responsibility of every little thing on the planet, pressing down on Jorrell is lighter than the responsibility of a parent to their child. Um, but that's all about the change because at uh, the final panel here, we have, um, uh, Laura showing up to say, uh, just visited the doctor and we need to talk. So, you know, I'm sure she's going to say, Hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. And then, uh, jor is going to feel what zor feels, you know, that, that intense pressure of uh, a parent wanting to save, uh, save their child. So yeah, these two, these two different uh, approaches on how to save crypto are very interesting. And uh, seeing Zod consign all the prisoners uh, with no sort of hearing, no uh, like public vote or anything. He's just like, I'm, I'm in charge of sec- the security council and we need to save energy on Krypton to try to use all the energy we can to stabilize the core. I'm just gonna, you know, all the prisoners, whether you're in there for, you know, a minor offense or a murder or whatever, doesn't matter. Um, although one of the things about that that did strike me is a lot of the versions of Krypton we've seen, the crime is very low. Like it's such an advanced society. What is there to really, you don't really need to steal. They don't have money. You know what I mean? So. It was sort of interesting to see how many prisoners there were. You kind of wonder why there's so many prisoners. I mean, even in the Christopher Reeve movie, right? In the Richard Donner, that's why it would, they consigned those three prisoners to the Phantom Zone. They were like the only three criminals in the history of Krypton, you know? So I did I, that did kind of stick out to me, but I, I'm willing to overlook it. Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed the issue. What'd you think, Rock?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's interesting. A couple of things that, I think our, I, I believe our new additions to the, uh, to the Kryptonian history is that that Zor-el <laughs> zor- actually, uh, you could argue almost betrays Jorel el because his brother zor Kara, Supergirl's father, uh, wants to restart the survival zone, uh, the survival zone again. He calls it the survival zone, except it's a form of the Phantom Zone. I mean, the irony here is that Zod's getting rid of all the criminals by putting them into the Phantom Zone. And yet, ironically enough, it's the criminals then, by their very nature, being in the zone are going to survive the destruction right. of Krypton. So that's yeah. that's what I always find odd about the, the stupidest thing. Why didn't Jor-El... They, they've clearly made the, the Phantom Zone very horrific and that Jor-El knows it's horrific and that the, it's a, it, it's a terrible experience, but... When you know, if you if you need to save your entire planet, it would seem. Why not wait to the last minute, have a massive projection into the phantom zone, and then simply have another phantom zone projector on another planet, so that you go in and go out right away. That that to me would be the most logical thing to do. Um, but I, I, for whatever reason, I think that Robert Venditti here is he's crafting a tale here where I, I think it's very reminiscent of of our own world. You know of the dysfunction of our own world magnified by a thousand of, of a dissension and, and austerity measures necessary to and make sacrifices and what have you. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out. I, I didn't mention it last issue, Jace, but uh, Robert Venditti wrote that 12 issue Hawkman series and there was a Kryptonian Hawk person. There was an yeah, I think of it Hawk- went. I think it went 28. I think it went 28 issues. It wasn't. It was way more than twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, you're. Yeah, I, yeah, that's right. It did. Uh, and there was. A, but there was a Kryptonian. There was a Hawkman version of of uh, who's a Kryptonian, and I believe his last name was uh, wasn't it Orm or something? Because I think he's. I think his descendant. He might have been Z's teacher. Who is? Uh, he might be Kara's history teacher. Last issue. I, I'm. I'm. Because Robert Venditti wrote Hawkman, and he's also writing this series. So I wonder if we're going to be seeing a descendant or at least one of the incarnations of Hawkman. His, in this, yeah. His, his
0: last name was, was O L. I'm O L O L. Wasn't a cat
1: all wasn't cat all yeah. a Kryptonian in the Hawkman series. I'm wondering if it's the same family on Krypton. Is that, yeah. was that yeah. intentional on the part of Venditti? Anyways, that, I, I just put that out there to a uh, Tim of Hawk world on, on Twitter there. He's a Hawkman fan. So uh, <laughs> in any yeah, way, yeah, it probably I, is. And
0: I, 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 man, that, that, that kryptonian hawkman had one of the coolest costumes yeah like his man. shirt was yeah it was fantastic <laughs> i loved cool. it yeah.
1: yeah but no i uh i enjoy this i you know i think it's it's really nailing down the dissension between zod and jor-el i mean the the, the difference in, in their their approach i mean that that defines the difference this lays the foundation of the difference between uh the L and the zods that goes far beyond the destruction of krypton right up right up to obviously kalal and 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 moving forward be, and even even legacy because we know uh with zod zod's son uh lar larzod or whatever his son i think it's lar larzod or anyways who's actually zod's son is a member of uh suicide squad which we'll be reviewing later and actually makes an appearance in suicide squad number 13 but in any event I enjoyed this, and uh, and I just I I have to say Michael Von Oming's art. I don't know if it's because I criticized it in the opening issue. It keeps. I think it's getting better every issue. His his backgrounds here are. I'm actually. I really enjoy his backgrounds. I th- I, I think he, I'm getting into this world of Krypton. I think I'm 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 impressed with it. I uh, you know. So I I gotta say like I'm I'm really I'm enjoying this. And it's to the point where it's going to be hard. It's hard for me to imagine. Uh, you know, I'm I'm right in the world that he's created here artistically, and I like his layouts on on the designs of, of his paneling and everything else. And uh, yeah, it, it works for me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy this. I might even pick this up as a trade because I this is this is you can tell already this is going to be a nice done in one story. This will make for a nice trade. Yeah, I agree. Uh, okay up next first issue of a
0: batman comic do we need more batman i don't know but uh this one's written by tom king with art by david marquez colors are by Alejandro sanchez letters by clayton cowles it's batman killing time number one chapter one you shouldn't have uh, i'm very curious your thoughts on this rock
1: um well, you know it's Tom King, and so I always. Say, it's funny thing with Tom King. I I know that you and I will give Tom King a fair shot, but I know there's a whole slew of other people uh, online and elsewhere that often do not, and uh, they make sort of uh, judgments uh, about it. I I gotta say for this opening issue, I and I'll just bring bring up the pages here. I think I'm really curious. I mean, it's called, I mean, uh, Tom King's approach to this, just so we're uh, clear, and he, and he said this in interviews, and it, it, it bears fruit here, is he, he knows he, he, he wanted to have one giant, this is a heist movie. This is like this is like a heist. And he wanted it to be one long adrenaline rush of a series. And that's, that's what his purpose was in, in doing this. And, you know, so far, I mean, basically what it is, this is the Riddler, Catwoman, Killer Croc, uh, all getting together to pull off a heist to steal something from a bank vault from vault number five. And what, what they, we don't know what it is they steal, but it's something massively important and it belongs to Bruce Wayne. Uh, or at least it's hinted that it belongs to Bruce Wayne and Batman right away. He knows it's something significant. It's and and this is in the early days of Batman. So this is before Selena was in love with Bruce or Selena was in love with Catwoman was in love with Batman This is this Tom King starts this heist off where this is right from the beginning where literally uh, this this young the security guard named Nippy uh, or pardon me. (laughs) It's not his name. It's the stripper's name. But there's a I think it's the I think it's the penguin, you know, this the bank security guard is compromised because they they pay him off by basically giving him a stripper for girls that he can sleep with. So so that they can help pull off the bank heist and Killer Croc goes into the bank to create the distraction. Uh, meanwhile they they, they want to rip off this uh, they've got this they want to rip off this Mr. and Mrs. Barrington so Selena Kyle is undercover teaching ten- giving tennis lessons to Mrs. Barrington meanwhile the Riddler is in the office of Mr. Barrington to distract him and uh meanwhile Killer Croc is in the bank causing that distraction and all all with the goal of of pulling off this this big heist now what exactly is it that they're stealing we don't know that's part of the mystery here i if i if there's some criticism here or or first let me give this compliment the dialogue here is 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 better than is better than it sometimes tom king's dialogue can lose me his batman catwoman his dialogue is all over the place and 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 i i just can't follow it and there's three different timelines and it's a little bit it's very messy uh, here I enjoy this. I enjoy this much more. I, I think it's this is easier to follow. Uh, there's a couple scenes where there's a reference to some of the things to to like a, a pharaoh or some. Re- there's some out. There's some meta uh, references to the past here that I I'm not quite following. But there's enough here to get me interested. I should also say the penguins involved. I forgot to mention the penguins. So the penguin, the Riddler, Selina, Killer Croc. These are all that these are people are all working together to pull off this heist. And this is in the early days of Batman. And he's going to be chasing them down to get this thing that they stole. And, and in if, if and it, it does a really good job here of enticing the readers to wondering what in the hell did they steal? The art's fantastic. Uh, Selena and the Riddler, you know, staring at what what it is they stole. It's 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 wet my appetite. I'm really curious uh, a, a young Batman dealing with all the younger rogues uh, early in their probably this is I, I can't remember what Tom King said in an interview maybe you remember but I think this is probably year one Batman or year two maybe I'm I'm not sure but it's, yeah it's uh, it's
0: yeah it's it's year I think it's a year two he said maybe toward the end of year two
1: yeah but uh, I I mean I, I'm in I'm in I'm curious I think this is easy to follow it's wet my appetite I'm curious as to what was stolen. Uh, and and this is easy to follow. I don't think this is difficult to grasp. There's no significant misdirection. It's actually intriguing. It's easier to follow. It, it's fast paced. I enjoyed it, and and I've been enjoying ninety nine percent, ninety five percent of what Tom King's been putting out. Unlike most people, you know, other than Bat Cat, I've been enjoying Tom King, and I got to say, for an opening issue, I'm, you know, I'm interested. What about yourself? <laughs>
0: I have a couple of nitpicks. Overall, I enjoyed it, uh, especially the art by David Marquez. So yeah, when Tom was on gorgeous. on our show, he talked about um, yeah wanting to do this big over the top thing, high story, like you said, and you know just cut loose, have fun. He, he realized you know in, in hindsight that telling one story over 100 issues of Batman maybe wasn't the best best thing to do, and he kind of regretted not being able to just cut loose and and have a big popcorn, big budget movie, uh, version of, of a Batman story. So, you know, he said, yeah, this is going to be straightforward. It's going to be told, you know, one event after the other. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a high story. So, I mean, if it's a high story, having a mystery of what's being heisted, um, that's not necessarily to be unexpected, but maybe it's just, one mystery after another, after another, after another at DC that kind of is bugging me and like, really, here we go again. You know, it's super cliche and super tropey that we keep getting people being shown the item and getting this shocked expression on their face, but we never get to see the item. <laughs> I could have done without that. You can just tell me what it is. You know, I'll be sufficiently wowed by that. I don't know that you need to keep that a mystery, but. Again, it's not necessarily, you know. I won't blame Tom for this singular instance of doing that. I don't recall him ever doing that before. But it's just again, one mystery after another, after another, after another. It gets kind of, it can get kind of old after a while. The other thing is, even though Tom told me this was going to be linear, it does jump around in time, but it pays off very quickly. Like, um, it it the whole first issue happens in the same day, and sometimes we'll jump back half an hour to see some events that led up to preceding events. So that's not a hundred percent. I think Tom can't help himself. I think he's at this point in his in his career, physically incapable of <laughs> telling a story that goes directly from A to B to C to D. He'll go from like, here's a one, here's a three, here's a two, here's B one, B two, B three, here's C two, C one, C three. Like he he just has to do it. It's part of his DNA. You just can't go directly in order. Uh, But it, but it was, you know, that being said, it was very easy to follow. Uh, There are timestamps and, you know, it it, it made a lot of sense. So it's a lot of fun. It's intriguing. Uh, I am very, obviously very curious to know what this item is. Um, I could have done without that, like I said, though. Uh, But for me, the, um, the art was the thing that, that was my favorite overall. I mean, I love a good high story, but. Uh kind of how the heist is pulled off by Riddler and Catwoman. It wasn't really uh complicated or or intricate or what have you. So maybe more of that is coming. Um and I completely didn't understand the jumping back. There is one point where it jumps all the way back to like what is it, 2400 BC or something?
1: Yeah, I didn't understand nope. that. I that, that yeah, threw me a little that, bit.
0: But. Yeah, that that's the one thing that hasn't paid off yet. So um, but I don't know, maybe whoever whoever that woman is um, back in the day, maybe it's her earring that they stole or her <laughs> know, pendant that- or, you know, um, something to do with her. Uh, yeah. and, but, and maybe but why would
1: Batman care though. It's just like, it, it seems to be, if it's in vault five and my understanding is that it's, it's something that's important to the Wayne family in vault number five, but uh, yeah, that's I possible. Know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, Okay, up next.
0: Uh, this is probably my least favorite of the week. Uh, Arkham City: Order of the World, issue number six. This is from writer uh, Dan Waters. Danny is the artist, as uh, has been throughout. Uh, let me get to the credits here. Um, yeah, this one. This one was a bit of a of a struggle for me. Uh, yeah, colors by by Dave Stewart. So. I did you a bit of car with letters. I, man, I, I, I just, this just wasn't for me that that's just at the end of the day, it, I get that it's supposed to be moody and creepy and, you know, psychological and horror and whatnot, but I, I, I haven't liked the art throughout. And I don't think that this art is, is significantly worse or, or different in some way, aesthetically than it has been throughout the series. But, Maybe it's just the fact that this is issue six and six issues of this art is, is more than I can take. Um, Cause it really constantly pulled me out of the story. Um It's just so messy. And so the lines are so thick when there are lines, sometimes there's not even lines. Sometimes it's just blocks of color that are supposed to indicate a character's pants, for example, or their shirt. I just, it, it just didn't work for me. And then, at at the end of the issue after uh dr joy gets shot in the stomach inexplicably protecting the ten-eyed man um then it just ends i I, and i'm left feeling like why did i first of all what did i read and why did i read it because it didn't there's no payoff at least for me that's how it felt There, there was no payoff i I didn't, yeah, I, this went over my head or, or I I missed the point completely. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll completely take the blame for this one, but not, not, not my style of art didn't care for the art at all. And I don't understand the story. I don't understand the point of this. So I'll leave it at that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wish I could, um, you know, I, I probably could have done a deeper dive into this issue. Uh, I didn't. I didn't quite grasp it either. I, I want to give. I will give uh, writer uh, Dan Dan Water some some credit here. The the idea of this series, I think, is very interesting. I mean, coming. I mean, the idea that that uh, you know you know, coming out of uh, fear state that, that the entire city of Gotham is almost like a different section of it. Or or it's like, it's like a map of, of Arkham asylum. And that each portion of the city represents a different room. And, and that essentially professor pig is the one that is uh, utilizes this other, this, this other inmate who sort of imitates and uses her gas, her her ghost-like form to imitate, uh, you know, the Amadeus Arkham to sort of, bring in and pull in all the other these all these other desperate uh former pa- inmate patients of Arkham Asylum and under and you know with Dr. Joy being the the doctor base basically being the under where Professor Pig is sort of he's Professor Pig is almost like a quasi Amadeus Arkham and he's he's got all the inmates now underneath Gotham and Dr. Joy is the doctor and and he, he's gonna cure them all and it's a very odd choice of Professor Pig as being. I mean, Professor Pig is usually a straight-up psychopath. He kills people, and for him to somehow he's going to cure them, I, I didn't quite understand that. And 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 Doctor Joy's connection to the Ten-eyed Man. She wants to help the Ten-eyed Man, but Doctor Joy herself seemed to be on a, on a journey where she was almost obsessed with helping the Ten-eyed Man. Even going so far as having the Ten-eyed Man hide out in her apartment for like four of the five issues and and so that was an interesting kind of an interesting plot in terms of the relationship between the the doctor and patient that was very much it was it was blurred and even some of the some of the patients like Dr. Phosphorus and and Nocturna uh you know living in an old dilapidated apartment and and killing the patients cuz Dr. Phosphorus was intentionally slash unintentionally killing other people in the in the apartment because he gives off radiation and and all all ultimately being pulled toward this Professor Pig in this, in this underground portion of Gotham. I I don't like you. I, you know, like you, I don't really understand what the point of this was or what, what the end game is here. Um, As Rayal is ultimately looking to capture all to, to bring, you know, to recapture all these, these former Arkham inmates, he ends up becoming captured him himself. Professor Pig doesn't kill, kill him. Um meanwhile, Doctor Joy herself, I I guess they're all end up being essentially sort of prisoners here. I'm not really sure why she doesn't release uh release him. Uh I guess he's a little bit crazy as Ra- asrael Azrael. Who knows? He probably, she's probably afraid she'll he'll kill her, but I didn't I didn't quite really get it. And like you, the ending confused me. So I'm not really sure what the point of all this was. I think it's continuity wise, it's a little wonky with you know. With, with other things, because we got Arkham Tower going on, but I th- we really have to separate these stories. But in any event, I like the art. Uh, I never got sick of the art. I enjoyed the art. I think the art's consistent. I think the colors pop off the page. It's really good. I think this Dr. Jory Acosta is, a, is an interesting new character. I just think her full, full potential is likely going to have to be realized in a different story than this one. Well, she's, dead.
0: she's uh, the impression I got was she's dead at the end.
1: Well... Okay. Uh, well, f- fair enough. Not
0: that that means anything. Not that that means okay. anything in a comic. Yeah. And, and I mean, she doesn't let Azrael out because she's worried that, you know, Azrael has been hunting down these escaped convicts and she's afraid she's that if to she them. follows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. She, she, if she follows professor pigs or, you know, she knows professor pigs about to let him out. That's the whole thing she says throughout the issue. Don't let him out. Don't let him out. Don't let him out. And, and clearly You know, the whole idea of Dr. Joy throughout, she's been trying to protect her. her, She's definitely a dedicated uh, psychiatrist. She's trying to protect her prisoners, even to the end. You know, it's a point of her stepping in front of the, you know, I said inexplicably. I mean, she's trying to protect Ten-Eyed Man like she's done throughout, letting him stay at her apartment, you know, hunting throughout the city for these escaped convicts. It's clear that she cares so much about her patients That she's willing to do anything for them. And that's kind of her tragic story arc, I suppose. Um, and, And the idea that, you know, Professor Pig has created this new, better version of Arkham Asylum where the prisoners are getting what they really need. And to your point, even Dr. Joy is a prisoner in this funhouse mirror version of Arkham Asylum that Professor Pig has created. And what Dr. Joy needs is to be needed, you know, which is a common trope sometimes in stories so yeah she's allowed to fulfill her role um but she's a new character and we haven't seen her before and so you know i feel like this could have been told in a one shot if you just wanted us to know hey there's this new character dr joy she works at arkham asylum she cares so much about her patients she's literally willing to lay down her life for them mm-hmm. and in the end she does why did that take six issues like i
1: yeah I choose to believe, I think it is an open question whether or not she died. Uh, I mean, you, can, yeah, you can read it either way. I mean, I personally hope, I think it's, I think she's a really interesting character. I mean, to be quite blunt, I, I really think, I think she's got a cool look about her with the white streak in her hair. <laughs> she's, a, I think she's cool. I actually, I actually think she's, she, you know, she's cool. She's, uh, and uh, anyways, I'd, I'd like to see her again. So I hope, I hope that uh, DC revives her at some future point or uh, or another writer does. Cause I think she's got potential. Uh,
0: maybe we'll see her at Pennyworth tower before too long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. On to the last book we're going to talk about uh, in detail. And then don't forget, we, we have the separate uh, war for earth three episode. Uh, so static shock season one comes to a conclusion with episode number six, as it's called issue number six, written by Vita Ayala art by Nicholas Draper Ivy letters by animal design. I actually don't have a whole lot to say about this issue. It was fun. It was exciting. It was action packed. Um, As far as the art goes, very dynamic from uh, Nicholas Draper Ivy. But I I did prefer when he was collaborating on the art with Chris Cross, um, like in the beginning. Uh, It just felt a little more grounded, uh, which isn't, again, to say that the art is bad. Nicholas Draper Ivy going with the digital effects that he does and whatnot – it really works well for the power set that static shock has. I mean, there's a couple of pages here where static kind of levels up. He takes the last couple of sugar pills to really get his, um, his energy level up. And then he reaches out and melts all the servers um, that are in this uh, warehouse that have all the information about the bang babies. Um, and then in the end, he cuts in on a, a news feed where they're, not necessarily bad mouthing the the Bang Babies, but it's clear that the the powers that be that control the media and whatnot are giving it that kind of spin. Because uh, when he interrupts, uh, he, he Virgil Hawkins, he uses that exact phrase. He's like, "Yeah, y'all aren't getting the spin this time," and he tells the truth to the citizens of Dakota. Hey, you know, you're calling these Bang Babies thugs, and you know, talking about how uh, we're trying to destroy the city out of anger and whatnot. And he t- he tells it like it is. So I, I appreciated that Vidayala was, you know, uh, giving voice to a lot of the discontent that uh, a lot of urban youth have felt both in the past and unfortunately still now today um, with, you know, Black Lives Matter protests and, and things like that. Um, we all know that, about the problems with, uh, with mainstream media and, you know, it, it, in this country, it, it, it's – the, the fact that these news organizations are or corporate entities that are uh, that exist to, to make money—that's what they're in the business for. That—that's a problem in my mind, as opposed to something like the BBC, which is you know run by the government, which has its own problems. Don't get me wrong, um, but I don't know. I, I just feel like news organizations should be forbidden from turning profits because then you wouldn't have the clickbait kind of stuff or the sensationalism, because it's all about the ratings, because you want to be able to make money on it. That's not what news organizations sh- should exist. They shouldn't exist to make money. They should exist to inform and educate the public. So anyway, let me uh, get off my soapbox. That's neither here nor there for this comic. Um, but ultimately, uh, this was a fun comic. And e- even in this particular issue, Vita Ayala did a great job. They They did something else here. Uh, Or reminded us of something they did throughout the series, which I've commented on, I think just about every time we've reviewed it. And that's the fact that they focused on, and I saw them in interviews say this, um, they specifically wanted Virgil Hawkins not to come from that cliched broken home, you know, with an African-American urban kid whose, you know, father's gone or mother has died or, you know, instead it's a strong familial core even he, he even has a decent relationship with his sister. Um, and in the end, after he finishes helping rescue everybody from uh, from these people that were trying to exploit them, uh, exploit the bang babies, when he goes to make his announcement and, and, you know, he talks to his family about the fact that he's going to do this, they back him up. You know, the, Virgil even says, he goes, yeah, I, I know it's a risk um, because I'm going to be out there and even though I'm going to be in disguise, but – you know whether I like whether I like it or not. I have these powers. It makes me a target. You're my family. That makes you a target. But in the end, they they back him up on his decision to do the right thing. Um, and I, I love that Vita Ayala focused on that. They made that a uh, a real central core of the story. Uh, and I, I like that. I like that a lot. So uh, overall, I enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to the second season. What do you think?
1: Uh, the art here just really stands out for me. I I love the art in this issue. There were so many different styles of art here, I felt. It was just, visually, this just, just was, was beautiful to, beautiful to page through. Uh, and I, I say that, of course, I, I'm looking at the, the digital copy and we, we get these preview copies, but, uh, the art is really, truly fantastic. And I have to say like the, uh, I agree with you on, this is a really good message of hope, of, of channeling all that the youthful zanks, uh, the youth, youthful angst and frustration uh, with just the, the, the powers that be and the way things are. And, you know, I, I think we live in the current times we live in, often the, I guess the, the young can sometimes get a bad rap when they express themselves, civil unrest and, you know, accusations of being maybe too left or too right or fascist this or two or or whatever antifa that and antifa that that i i like with this whole thing with the bang babies i i you know that and the fallout from that i think this was done in a very constructive manner that something constructive came out of that that these these kids that were part of that 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 protest that gained superpowers that hope at the end of the day while some of them are villains most of them are good and the idea of channeling you know taking the anger channeling the hope, standing for something. That's a really good and powerful message because we got to remember that uh in in this universe of the Milestone universe, this is not in the DC mainstream DC universe. So and in fact, we know from Icon and Rocket series that Superman did exist in this series in this universe, but he was killed <laughs> by by uh, the enemy of uh, of Icon. And in any event, uh I I see static in many ways being like that symbol of hope that maybe Superman was the stand in for that. You can argue that it's icon and rocket maybe, or or hardware. Uh, But I like static. Uh, Static to me is sort of like the younger, he's like the young Miles Morales or the young Peter Parker, whatever you want to say. Cause he's right in that wheelhouse. He's, he's a high, he's a high school student. He's right at the, the, he's right at that, that, that period of, of change in his life. And you know, uh, I enjoyed this. I I really like these six issues. Were it's a nice, it's a good done in one story. You know, not done in one, but I mean, it was six issues. But it was a nice story arc, and it covers a lot of ground. We even had Hardware making appearance. We we got a good, we got a good overall history of the of of who Static is. Uh, hints of the Milestone Universe. Uh, proper the the in the in the in the scheme of the larger narrative. Uh, but, you know, between Static, Icon and Rocket and Hardware, this is a really nice uh, ensemble of, of of stories. And in fact, you and I are going to be a little bit of a teaser uh, when we talk about our, our underrated comics for the year. I think uh, one of the milestone titles is, is one of the, I think one of the, deserves some honorable mentions for being underrated. Because I think that this milestone line, you know, uh, has not been getting enough uh, attention. It, it deserves more attention. And uh, I, w- I would just encourage people to check out Static. Vida Ayala has done a really good job here. Vida Ayala has taken, she's I think she gets some a lot of unfair criticism about her writing. I think this is uh, one of her better works here. I think she's done a, a good job on this. And, and I think she's done a reasonably competent job on Newbie and the Amazons with her collaboration with Stephanie Williams. Uh, I have some shortcomings with regard to that. But for the most part, Vida Ayala, is, uh, I think she's an up-and-coming writer. And I I hope DC continues to give her more work. Yeah. Don't forget. They, uh, I know you always fall into that. They, yeah. That I, I use the wrong yeah. pronoun. Right. All right, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I uh, okay. Well, let's get in there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Don't forget to, to go check out the, uh, the war for earth three spotlight where we talk about the, the first issue of that series, as well as suicide squad number 13. Uh, in addition to the books that we talked about, we do have a couple of uh, collections coming out from DC today. Uh, that, Dark Knights of Steel, I guess that's a collection, sort of. Dark Knights of Steel, Gathering of the Storm, number one. It's like 70 pages, 68 pages or something. Collects the first three issues. Uh, Also, Nice House on the Lake, volume one, trade paperback. So just in time for the series to return, if you haven't read any of it, you can pick up the uh, trade with the first six issues and then pick up the single for issue seven. Uh, Also, Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, The Hunt for Harley, uh, which is an out of continuity story, black label from uh, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. So if you're a big fan of their run, they get to go even more raunchy and more (laughs) dirty uh, with their, uh, with their writing style. Uh, So that trade, I think that was originally, I want to say four issues. Uh, The trade's 160 pages. So uh, that's out this, this week as well. So, uh, yeah. And then upcoming, uh, have some interviews coming for you guys. Uh, Kelly Thompson's going to be on the show soon. J.H. Williams, uh, working on some other big names to, uh, to come on. And yeah, the, the big thing coming up, like Rocky mentioned, and I mentioned at the top of the show, finally getting our, um, best of 2021 episode out the door. Really excited to, to talk about it. I, I fell down the rabbit hole this last weekend, going over my picks, changed a few. Uh, but just, yeah, man, last year was actually a really good year for comics. So looking forward to that. Uh, anything you want to tease the people with Rocky before we sign off? Uh,
1: well, uh, I, I, I've got a number of things in the go, but it's, it's going to be a couple weeks before I get to them. But, uh, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, my, my favorite comic book of the week is uh, war for earth three and, and followed by suicide squad 13, which we're going to be reviewing after this in a separate, uh, podcast and a, and a separate YouTube video. So I'm, uh, I'm actually looking forward to that.
0: Yep, Fantastic. Uh, Well, that's going to do it, everybody. We appreciate the support as always. Don't forget to head over to uh, Rocky's YouTube channel, Comic Space Boom Exclamation Point. Subscribe to the channel, ring the notification bell so you know when new content comes out, like this video. Uh, And if you guys check us out on YouTube, when we do these spotlights, you can see the art, you can see the stuff as we're talking about it. if you check us out on YouTube and you've never gone and subscribed to the comic source, really appreciate if you do that as well. So you don't miss any of our audio only content. Just go to your favorite podcasting application on your smart device or your favorite podcasting platform, Google stitcher, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, and just do a search for the comic source and, uh, and subscribe. And the other thing I'll mention, everybody's got a, an Amazon Alexa these days, right? Like you can just say, Alexa, play the comic source and she'll play you the, the latest episode. <laughs> that's cool. So, uh, yeah, it, it is really cool. So anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, don't forget to check out the War for Earth 3 Spotlight as well today, and we will talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple.